The podcast Under the Stairs will feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners will find offensive. to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs bonus episode number 7. Um, I'm your host Duncan McLeish and uh, this is going to be an incredibly special show with, with lots of content for you all. I know this is one that the listeners and people on the Facebook page have been eager for. Um, this uh, episode will feature Baz V Horror Episode number fucking 10, Jesus Christ, um, and of course there's no way I could do a Baz V Horror without the star of that particular segment, it is the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Hello, incredibly unsexy Serbian bitches. <laughs> is, that, is hello, that is that... that, that bit, yeah, I, I'm not a Google Translator let on there. <laughs> there's actually another word for hello in Serbian as well and I've forgotten it. All right. So I had to go with the first one, which is basically just a weirdly pronounced hello. <laughs> Sounded authentic. Yeah. <laughs> um, our, our friend Vanessa uh, from the States had said that I wasn't to say sexy bitches having anything to do with this fucking film we're about to talk about. <laughs> and having watched it, I totally agree with her, but you've got a catchphrase, you've got a catchphrase, do you know you what do, I mean? You do, I'm currently at the moment... Um... For those that don't know, uh, or those that are keeping score, I mean, this is this is Baz v Horror episode ten, and um, we have one more before you do Baz v Halloween, which will mark um, at the very beginning of of October. Will mark you. Sorry, when that finishes, um, Baz v Halloween will mark uh, the one year anniversary of Baz v Horror, um, which is fucking crazy. That'll be a full year that um, we've been running the show and that pretty much means on average you will have done at least one Baz V Horror every single month which is pretty cool um, it's, it's been a long winding sexy sexy <laughs> road my friend it has been <laughs> and um, as a, a very special treat for our listeners and for yourself <laughs> um, we're going to put a, a very special anniversary edition which is going to be basically an interview segment we're going to put it to the Facebook page and get people to submit questions to ask you um, I'll have my <laughs> own questions and I'm currently compiling a, a compilation of your classics from from all the episodes at the moment so I'm listening to every single one of them back to back and pretty much picking the funny lines or the where Baz seems a wee bit worried lines or where Baz has had enough of this pish lines um, I reckon there's going to be a lot of the latter in this review uh, There's tonight. a veritable smorgasbord <laughs> to pick for there big man isn't there? <laughs> there is man, there is <laughs> uh, So yes, yeah, so that's that's something that I, 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 the listeners will have uh, a chance to check out later on We have some huge news um, at the end of this show relating to Baz V Horror and the very special five weeks of Baz V Halloween 
um, which we've been hinting at for a wee while, but we've kind of, between the two of us, we're kind of sorting details right now, so... As um, I like to call it, Baz doesn't sleep for a month. <laughs> Baz doesn't sleep for a month. Um, and I can also I can also officially announce um, what the podcast Under the Stairs Halloween episode this year will be, which will also involve yourself, so I'm looking forward to that. Indeed. So, um, before we get talking about that movie, um, uh, <laughs> it feels apt and appropriate to say, Bass, what have you been checking out in the world of horror? Well, I tell you, big man, I've been checking out quite a bit, and it's funny, I feel like I've not been on the show for fucking months. Aye. I can't remember the last time I was on, but it just feels like ages since since we recorded anything. I mean, the last Baz V Horror we did was The Grudge, obviously. Um, oh, yeah. So there, there's, there's been quite a, a bit of time going by, so I have been watching quite a bit of stuff. Um, first off, TV-wise, yesterday I just finished Hannibal Season 2. Oh. Now that's a fucking ending. Oh, and, uh, I told you. Didn't I, didn't I say... Shit the bed. That's did you, an ending. Did, did you get goosebumps, man? I was like fucking sitting there and I was actually like, right, uh, guys, I'm going to announce a wee spoiler section here. Uh, we are going to have, um, for those that haven't watched it, check the website, check the time coding on your, your iTunes, on the podcast app. If you touch the if you touch the podcast under the stairs logo, it'll flip round and it'll tell you where you can skip to. Uh, so me and Baz can fucking talk about this. Holy fuck. I didn't know about this. I didn't know you'd finished it. Yeah, I was only yesterday. Oh. Only yesterday I finished it. Um, and in, in terms of... Right, here we go with the spoilers, by the way, folks. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the season, again, I felt it was a bit like season one. It just started off, it was fucking amazing. But obviously, the, the, the start, as we've discussed before, it starts at the end of the season, and then the rest of the season is a flashback, sort of building up to that. Yeah, it's catching up with it, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even the the first half of it was absolutely brilliant. And again, I kind of started to lose interest just after the midway point again. But it, it, then it started to ramp up again, coming towards the end. And the, the last two or three episodes were fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. But the last one in particular, I know you're talking about goosebumps, but the, the bit when he guts Will Graham in oh, the kitchen. Yeah. You could almost feel it. I, I don't see when you see things like gunshots in the telly or stabbings in the telly doesn't fucking faze me and it was that way I was drawing my knees up to my chest and stuff like that watching it mm. you could fucking feel that knife going through his stomach I swear to god man yeah oh, I, I love the fact that it's I mean it's just that end is just a fucking bloodbath it's an absolute bloodbath because yeah. what you get is um, I mean because basically the whole second right the whole first See, ultimately, what the show's about, right? And this is this is kind of this is what I mean, if you read between the lines, basically, it's about two characters that have a loving friendship, even though they don't have a loving friendship. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Because basically, the only person that Hannibal can relate to is Will, and the only person that Will can relate to is Hannibal. Yeah. Um, and in the first season, it's almost like. I mean, I don't think at the end of the first season where, you know, he basically sets up Will Graham, I don't think the intention is to ever keep Will in prison. No. I think it's, you know, I think it's more just Hannibal's curious to see what it does to their friendship. Can their friendship overcome this obstacle? And in the second season, you know, Will, I think, cottons onto that, that, you know, Hannibal is testing their friendship. So he starts to play into that, and when they fake the death of the... 
the reporter. Freddy Lounge, yeah. Yeah, when they fake the death of her um, and set things up in a particular way and Hannibal buys it. Yeah, yeah, there's almost a kind of flirting between the two of them, isn't there? When they're yeah. like, yeah, you know I'm doing this and you know I'm doing this. And yeah, it's this but they, and never, they never commit. Neither yeah. one of them ever commits to an answer. Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes it quite... It's like it's when they're sitting having conversations over dinner and they're basically are giving each other looks and uh, the way they talk about things. And it's really fucking well done. But um, the fact that he fucks up by having visited Freddy and not having a shower in between and Hannibal's nose is so acutely tuned that he picks up the scent of her and from that point he knows. And then, oh my God, you get that the fight sequence with... Um, Lawrence Fishburne's character yeah. uh, Jack Crawford which is fucking a brutal fight scene and then he just fucking slices his throat and kicks him in the room and then you get that beautiful sequence of um, the the other what's her name it escapes me the, oh I can't I can never freaking remember her the psychiatrist the female yeah, psychiatrist yeah and she, she she comes walking in to Hannibal basically running and fucking smacking the door Aye. with his shoulder determined that you know I will get through this door and I will finish the job off and then, oh my God, she then gets fucking thrown at a window. Yeah, see, before the best bit is though she goes like that, Hannibal, where's Jack? Yeah. And he just points at the door and he's like, he's in there. He's <laughs> <Jack. laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, that so she, she, gets, she gets pushed out the window. Um, and then we obviously, we, we then find out that um, the chick's still alive, the, the one from the first season. Uh, whose name also escapes me. I don't know why I'm having a blank here. All is these. It Annabelle? No. Uh, is it... We'll just call her Annabelle. I'm sure there's people shouting at the that their iPods just now. Those Abigail. that are listening. Abigail. Abigail. Abigail, Abigail Hobbs. Yes. yes. Um, Abigail, you know, is is alive, and then you know he kind of uses her as almost a, a kind of way to lure Will into to coming back in. Then fucking just does her away. Yeah. And then does Will away. Well, doesn't obviously because there's season three. Um, mm-hmm. Will Graham will still be alive, as apparently Jack Crawford's going to be as well. By the way, that's not yeah. a spoiler. That's just what's being reported. Um, how much of that's true, I don't know. So, um, yeah, you know, just and it's so like you say, you can feel that cut along the fucking the midsection. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's that hideous wee curved knife yeah. thing he pulls out his pocket as well. Yeah. You know, like, oh, it's fucking horrible. And, horrible brilliantly done though yeah and then Hannibal you know it disappears and then you're like well the police are all after them you know I'll be interested to see maybe this is how he gets caught because obviously the the television show is a prequel to Red Dragon yeah. and in Red Dragon Hannibal's caught and then they start the the, the Tooth Fairy case the Frank mm-hmm. Dullaride case and then we get this great clip of him on the plane with um, uh, Gillian Anderson's Gillian character. Anderson's character yeah um, it's funny because at, at the start of it uh-huh. On the the UK screenings, the guy that introduces you know next on fucking Sky Atlantic or whatever it's on, um, Hannibal, make sure you watch till the very end. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, right, is that the very end? I'm legit. No, I'll watch the credits. I don't want to miss anything. And of course, it's after the credits That's that you right. see him on the plane. Yeah, and he's he's flying away with her, um, and then we find out that she's she's been involved with us. Yeah. From the from from not from the start, but I think her coming back from her escaping, or maybe even telling, maybe I, I don't know how much she's been involved, but her obviously telling um, Will in the the prison that she believed him, 
started this whole thing of Will trying to get Hannibal killed and all the rest. Yeah. Stemmed from that. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So, it's oh, amazing. But, uh, the, and the, with the possible exception of the first and the last kind of scenes, the best thing about that season was the Mason Berger character played by the wee fellow out of... Uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, he was. He was really. That was, he was a really fucking, fucking amazing good. performance. Amazing. Really, performance. really, really good. Um, yeah. So what what we found out um, since, and I can tell you now um, right. from from Comic Con, is season three is Hannibal on the run in Europe. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's he's obviously. I think he's going to try and make his way to Italy, um, and it's him on the run and basically having to slum a lot of it. What they've said is definitely going to happen is we are going to get um, Hannibal's backstory, which is covered in Hannibal Rising, which is a movie I hate. Um, yeah, the one with the wee sister during the war and all yeah, that kind Misha. of stuff. Yeah. So they're going to cover Misha um, in there. They're going to cover, um, you know, basically, I believe it's leading up to his capture. And they have also said that the Tooth Fairy will be in season three so that to me means we're entering red dragon territory and they've already said the showrunners have already said we've got about seven seasons planned to this show and it will cover the entire film franchise as well so yeah oh just honestly that that finish now was just i actually see when that program finished i wanted to slow clap it (laughs) (laughs) this is this is what i want from my fucking television i want if you're going to end a season End it so you're fucking sitting there going, I need to see what happens now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and they did that very well. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you got to the end of that one. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and, and and I will definitely keep watching that. I know I had said after season one I probably wasn't going to bother with Hannibal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you piqued my interest then. And I'm glad I stuck it out. I'm glad I watched season two and I'll definitely be watching season three. Excellent, excellent. So what else have you been checking Yeah, so that, that was TV-wise that... Um, but since I was last on, um, we've obviously got the summer holidays over here. The kids are off school. My wee girl was up um, for a couple of weeks for her holidays. Um, and she's developing this kind of thing for horror films now. I think her and her wee pals kind of skirt about it when they're at sleepovers and stuff like that. Oh, right. they yeah, Netflix yeah. and everything nowadays, haven't they? Uh-huh. Um, and she knows that I do this with you and she talks to me about it a lot. She likes to know what I'm watching for Baz V Horror and stuff, even though she gets told me, you can't ever watch that film. <laughs> um, in fact, I've actually had to show her some of the DVDs because obviously I collect the DVDs that we do and I've had to show her like, test, never, ever take this out and watch it. Promise mm. me that. You can watch horror films, but never, ever watch... Uh, what one did I do that with? Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, God, no. Cannibal <laughs> Holocaust is August not for August Underground and all these kind of things, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so she was up for a fortnight um, and we were watching quite a lot of films. We, we managed to get my wife to sit down and watch the first three Star Wars films. Oh, amazing. Uh, having never seen them, so that was great. Obviously not by, by, uh, by first three, are we talking about... The original three. Yeah, that's... Episodes that's what... 46. Yeah. yeah, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, I I was under the impression she'd never seen a Star Wars film, but when we started watching the first one, she actually realised she had seen one, but it was the Phantom Menace. Oh God, right? And I was like, right, just shut up and watch this one. <laughs> Put on you hope. <laughs> so that we have Star Wars, but horror wise, um, I'd said to the even right, well, listen, you're up for a fortnight now. Um, we'll, we'll watch some horror stuff that's suitable for you. Um, well, you're up kind of thing. So the first one that we watched was actually the one you had suggested for us, which is Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Aye. But maybe not really a horror film to most of the folk listening to this, but it is a horror elements. 
Aye, that's um, a lot of fun. I think yeah. it's, I think it's a really fu- it's a stupid movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, to me, it's it's in the same vein as the the sort of those um, underworld movies. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's about a hundred times more entertaining. Yeah, it's like, kind of it's like an action film that's based on a horror type story, if you like, yes. kind of thing, you know. But uh, but yeah, no, I remember you had actually texted me when you'd finished watching that, saying, "Listen, that's one to watch with the wee one kind of thing," mm-hmm. you know. So we watched that. We both thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a good laugh. Um, I then watched another one on my own um, without her, which was the Descent. Oh yeah. Um, now I remember we were speaking previously. I'd bought uh, all three of the Neil Marshall films, mm-hmm. and I had watched um, Doomsday. Yeah, with the wife. So I had I still had the other two to get through. I didn't let the even watch The Descent because I remember you saying it was very, very scary. Uh, that's a brilliant film, man. It that's really a is. Fucking great film. Um, yeah. And I, in terms of if I was doing Baz v Horror, I got through it. No bother. There's a couple of big fucking jump scares in there. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a couple of kind of pants shitting moments in it, but. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, just a really good fucking story, a good premise, well acted with all those girls in it kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and some fucking seriously scary looking fucking monsters in it. Yeah, Do you know, and brilliantly done. I mean, you don't get to see them till well over halfway through it, um, and, and just everything leading up to really well done, and then the kind of fucked up ending bit. I quite yeah. liked. I've got to say. Um, yeah. Do you know in America they have a different? Well, when it was released in America, they changed the ending. Yeah, you you've told me this in the past, yeah. um, right, and I remember as I was watching it, I'm going, "Oh wait a minute, there's something different about it." And obviously, I was aware I had the you know the British release, so I knew I was going to get to see the kind of proper ending. Yeah. But I, I was like, Duncan said something, but there's a funny ending, and then um, obviously you see the girl escape, and I felt quite good about that. Yes, which is what happens in America. uh, Yeah, and then obviously there's the the kind of twist ending and you're like that, oh, Christ. And then it was like that, oh, that's what he told me. They're going to cut the last last minute or whatever, last two minutes of it or whatever. eh? That's a fucking stupid idea. That's a It it, it defeats the purpose and I kind of feel sorry for those... in America that have only ever seen that version and have yeah. never seen... Because to me, the ending is what sells everything. That ending just sells absolutely everything that happens in that movie. And um, I I recently... We've just finished on the Midnight Horror Show, we've just finished um, doing a collated um, countdown of the top 20 horror movies since 2000 to 2014. Mm-hmm. So basically up to up to date, and um, we pulled it in from listeners and all the rest. And uh, Undead on the show did um, a, a, like collected them all with a point system. So um, number one on the list got twenty points, heading them to you know number twenty, which got one and worked it all out. Um, my number one movie in terms of horror uh, from two thousand to two thousand and fourteen is The Descent. Yeah. I think it is the perfect horror movie. Mm-hmm. I think it, there's no. There's no way you can look at that and say, well, this this bit's taking too long to get to a point and everything. It has the right amount of time of character development, um, you know, getting to know the girls mm-hmm. and all the rest. Yeah. It puts you in a situation that the situation is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you get this twist of the, the creatures under the ground and from there on it is just a hellacious ride right to the end. Um, and I absolutely love it. I think Neil Mar- that's Neil Marshall just getting it getting it right that's yeah. the the perfect horror movie um, uh, I mean I've got to say see 
even if you take the monsters at that film, you could have made a fucking good horror film just about them being lost in that oh, cave. Oh god, it's, it's claustrophobic as fuck. Yeah, and I don't. I've told you before, I do not suffer claustrophobia at all. When I watched that, I saw that film in the cinema, right? And it terrified me. And um, I was sitting there and I became very much aware that even though I was in a giant cinema room, I was in the dark and if those doors got locked, the <laughs> air would run out and how would I get daylight? And all these stupid things started running through my head and um, I think it's just, I just think it's a fucking amazingly made movie. Yeah. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Really good film. Really good film. Um, following on from that, then, so I didn't let them even watch that. I thought probably a bit too scary for her. Um, although I'd saying that, I think she would have probably managed. It. I think so. I think, She's I think getting the, a wee bit twisty. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think the thing is as well, though. I think um, kids are subject, not subjected to horror movies, uh, but the films are a lot more. The themed in a way which is different. I grew up in an I grew up in an era when like Freddy Krueger was scary. Nah. Freddy Krueger is not scary now. No. Um, because kids will have seen things in fucking other movies, which are far more fucked up and far more scary. Um, so yeah, I I, I still wouldn't wa- let her watch Cannibal Holocaust. Though. No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I followed the descent up with one that I did later watch, and that was Dog Soldiers, which was the third of the Neil Marshall ones. That was the last one uh, that I hadn't seen kind of thing. So the two uh-huh. of us settled down and watched that. <laughs> Again, it's really good fun. Oh, it's, it's, uh, a it's not a scary movie. Let's no, be honest, not at all. Do you know what I mean? But obviously, it's got a horror-based slant on it and that there's werewolves that they're going up against. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. She really liked it, I think. She liked seeing the wolves and stuff like that. She, she quite likes werewolves. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, she's always been like that. Um, <laughs> she... She used to do these funny things when she was a kid. She used to talk about, yeah, I used to do that when I was a horse, and she used to talk about being Tess the horse and stuff like that. That <laughs> yeah. things she did when she was really small. Um, and I'm sure there was Tess the werewolf for quite a while. Oh, right. I was like, yeah, but I'm only a werewolf and I'm not here, Dad, and stuff like that. So she's always kind of banged on about werewolves for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so she, she really enjoyed that as well. I, I liked the casting. I thought the, the casting in that film was really good. Uh, yeah. I liked your boy Pertwee in it. And the other fellow who was Tommy from Trainspotting. I can never remember yep. the actor's name, but he was the main kind of goodie, if you like, on the soldier side. Uh, I mm-hmm. thought he was brilliant in it. Um and that there's just enough cheesiness in it to make you smile kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah it, has, it has a sequence where a, a scouser box, boxes a werewolf. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's that's the only film in history where someone actually goes into a boxing match with a werewolf. <laughs> and I appreciate it for that. <laughs> so that was Dog Soldiers. So it was quite good to see that. I'd never actually seen that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been out a long time, obviously. And it's quite, you know, it comes in the telly quite a lot. I don't know. I just never ever seen it. So I enjoyed that. Um, we then turned our attention to uh, Netflix. Um, and we watched a series of films or a number of films that I'd actually seen before. Um, going back to the kind of late 90s um, when I bought my first flat when I'd graduated from college and gone on and got a job and stuff, and I bought my first flat in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was single at the time, and I was living on my own. Um, and that was back in the days of, like, blockbuster video and global video and stuff like that, when it was ah, still still video. videos, you know? Global video, I remember it well, Baz. I'm ah, the manager. Back served your youth. time, mate, served your yeah. time. 
And, uh, and there was one round the corner from me, um, and I used to watch quite a lot of films at that time. Now, I didn't watch an awful lot of horror ones, but I did watch some of the ones that were coming out around about that time. So the first one that we watched was I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, God, yeah. We <laughs> uh, <laughs> wee Buffy in it, and uh, her at a party of five and all that in it. Um, and that was, I, I still like that film, I've got to say. I remember enjoying that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's funny because that kind of ilk of slasher film, if you like, before I get involved with the show here and talking to you about it, that was my idea of horror. That yeah. was a horror film to me. Looking at it now, it's not really. Well, it, it is, obviously, but it's not yeah. something. That I can remember putting this on and going, oh, Christ, right, here we go. Yeah, Do you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and being genuinely kind of frightened by these films. Um but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I like the folk that act in it. There's just enough humour in it to keep you going as well. Um, and for somebody my daughter's age, that was a horror film to her, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. she quite enjoyed that as well. Uh, we did follow up with I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, <laughs> yeah, on the which, Caribbean island. Yeah, that, that sucks. A huge amount of cock, really. Um and I didn't think I'd seen that, but when I started watching it, I started come flooding fucking by. And oh Christ, I've seen this. If memory uh, serves, though, it does have a rather hot-looking Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. Yeah, well, she's in both of them. Yeah, but she looks better in the second. She does. Uh, she's less. <laughs> depressed. If you remember rightly, in the first one, she starts off. She's the wee perky cheerleading type. Yeah. Um, and then after the accident at the start of the first film. She goes away to college and she goes off. She doesn't even go off in a goth. She just stops washing her hair and looks fucking depressed and wears big cardigans. You feel like yeah. giving her a fucking slap and unfortunately that's <laughs> what she looks like most of the way through that film. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, she, she's looking a few bit better than the second film. Um, but obviously the, the, the most of the other characters are gone. Um, so it's kind of new characters. It's her college roommate and her incredibly annoying frat boy boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Um... And you've got, what's his face? You've got the old Freddie Prinze Jr. But he's not in the whole film in the way that he's in the whole of the first one. Mm. He kind of comes back into it later on. Um, It's not a fucking great film, to be honest. Again, we even quite enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I say, I I did like the first one. I I had fond memories of that. And we finished off our little kind of horror extravaganza with uh, the first Scream film. Oh! Um, Which I thought I'd seen... And now I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been one of those films that I had seen a bit of. But basically, I couldn't remember much about it. So it was kind of like watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched it with the beginning again. Um, I, I didn't <laughs> dig that film as much. Now, I know I have spoke to you about it since then. The, 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 the protagonist in it, the screen mask guy, yeah. irritates the shit out of me. And you have explained... Yeah, it's a comment. It's, it's a comment that, on slasher movies. Yeah, it's a kind of pastiche, if you like, kind of yeah. thing. Just fucking it. But it, it kind of bugged the wee one because she started going, keeps tripping over. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Why? What kind of murderer keeps tripping over? Do you know what I mean? All you need to do is shut the door. He can't get through the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> so she uh, yeah. actually started picking these kind of holes in it. You know, I appreciate yeah. having spoken to you. That's kind of the point of the whole thing. But yeah, the, the point the point of the film is uh, is Wes Craven, who was responsible for uh, quite a few of those movies from the eighties, yeah. is basically him taking a look at horror in general through the 80s the demise of horror and looking at all the tropes in the slasher movie and then 
kind of resetting the clock almost. Basically, it's like a comment. It's a comment on that. The, the film... I love the original, and I think that I love the original because up until that movie came out, uh, there was nothing. Like, horror died yeah, in the yeah, it died like, horribly. Yeah, you said that to me before, there was just this complete dearth of anything decent. Yeah, Scream comes out, and then, but the irony of it, Scream basically was a comment on all the, like, basically the influx of slasher movies that came out after films like Halloween and Friday the 13th. Scream comes out, does really well, and then we've got an influx of new slasher movies, like I Know What You Did Last Summer, um, yeah. which was basically, all it did was reset the clock, and then we just got exactly the same again, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, if I was you, I would can, oh, I'll say, yeah, I would continue, and I'd watch them all, they're good to have under your belt that you've watched mm-hmm. all four Scream movies, yeah. I can't guarantee you'll enjoy them all, but um, it's good just to... To have that under your belt anyway, because that's one of the more modern kind of franchises from the slasher genre, yeah. which I think is almost required watching. So, cool. So that's me. That's pretty much. But I have seen. I've actually seen quite a lot of other films as well recently, but none really horror related. Top of that pile would be The Fault in Our Stars, the fucking love story about teenage cancer victims. I was forced to go to with my wife. <laughs> so, no, nobody wants to hear about that. It's a whole different kind of horror, Buzz. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been busy then yeah um, as I say it's, it's, it's been a good few weeks if not months since I've been on the show so I have had a wee bit of time and when I was obviously when the weaving was up for a fortnight I was off my work for a fortnight as well so we had time we're out doing stuff during the day and then we were watching movies at night so we had time to get in there and get some stuff watched you know awesome that is, that's awesome man uh, so what have I been watching um, well since the last show uh, which was myself and Gary Hill um, chatting in fact it depends when this episode comes out it may be myself and Gary Hill there may have been another episode dropped it just depends when uh, when I get this episode up if if that's not the last episode you heard the last episode will be myself and Mr. Corey Graham Midnight Corey as he's known in the business um, chatting about some movies but yeah so I checked out I checked out a movie which is pretty close to my heart um, it may be a film that I named or uh, well my podcast seems similar I'm not saying I stole it even though <laughs> the the graphics for this podcast are basically the graphics for this movie um, because I, I <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm lazy that way, I'm lazy that way. Why, why be original when you can, can rip something off? Um, so uh, I got a special opportunity to guest on Graveshift Radio, the podcast, and um, Ryan over there um, invited me over on the premise that we get a, cha- a chance to chat about a movie I've never spoke about in any podcast, or a film that's kind of close to my heart, which is The People Under the Stairs. Um, and it was fun chatting about that movie, because Ryan really likes it as well. We've obviously, we grew up watching that movie, and as a result can look past the glaring fucking flaws in it um, Bo thought it was alright John hated it um, which was pretty funny hearing because he's a bit younger than us hearing him just go off just saying it's shit it doesn't make any sense and all the rest of are like but that's the point that's the <laughs> point um, so I chatted about that we also as the main feature got a chance to talk about The Exorcist now I have not seen The Exorcist I was telling the guys on the show I've seen The Exorcist approximately four times in my life and that's including the watching this weekend, I saw it at a completely inappropriate age and it terrified me. Yeah, um, I, I, I was twenty when I saw it for the first time and it scared the shit out of me. Oh yeah, it's you know, and then I saw it at the cinema when they re-released it 
with the additional footage like the spider walk down the stairs and stuff like that when they when they really released it. I saw it there and the second time it didn't scare me as much but it was cool seeing it in a, a, a crowd and hearing people like lose their fucking shit watching that movie. Mm-hmm. Um I then saw it about five, six years ago I think I, I checked it out. It must have been on the telly or something I watched it. Um, so this is only the fourth time I've ever seen it and that is a master class of cinema. That is we talk about classic movies even out with horror that is a classic movie it's yeah. fucking oh it's just it's just at a level which which film just doesn't seem to hit anymore william freaking directs the fucking shit out of that movie um and i thought it was great i thought it was great going back to look at it um i got a chance to check out and there's a special review that's going up on the podcast under the stairs one year anniversary show at the end of the month um but i got to check out the new jim mickle movie cold in july and that movie's fucking phenomenal that movie is absolutely fucking phenomenal in fact i would go as far as to say some of top five for the year just okay. and it's not it's not strictly horror. Jim Mickle's a horror director. He did um, Stakeland. Um, oh uh, yeah. This this is totally that you need to see this movie, Baz. I will hook right. you up. Right. This is a movie you need to see. This will this is everything Baz will love in cinema. Right. Um, basically, it's based on a novel, and I can tell you, I can tell you a general synopsis of like the first ten minutes. I can't tell you what happens beyond that because the story twists like about 40 times um, and don't listen to the anniversary show review because we spoil it um, until you've seen this movie. So basically we have Michael C. Hall, him that plays Dexter, um, is the town sort of quiet guy, runs a frame shop, doesn't get in trouble, doesn't really have his head up, he's a family man. Um, and the movie starts with him waking up in the middle of the night and hearing someone in his house and going through the living room with his gun his dad's gun, sorry, because he doesn't believe in violence, and he gets startled and he shoots and he kills the intruder. So the town herald him as a hero, um, and you know he really doesn't want to be seen as that. He's quite sickened by what he's done, um, and then the police officer, the sergeant, tells him that the guy he's killed has a father who has just been released from prison, right. uh, and then the father shows up in town and basically indicates to Michael C. Hall an eye for an eye and he's going to kill his son. Mm-hmm. It is, oh, the story beyond that is just fucking amazing. It's got Sam Shepard in it. It has Don Johnson in probably the best Don Johnson role ever. Oh, no. He's just fucking, honestly, man, it's like, remember how we were watching from Dustled on the TV show more like that? Don Johnson's just a fucking awesome guy. Yeah, and they killed him in the first fucking episode. Yeah, well, Tricks. this this movie has plenty of Don Johnson in it, and Don <laughs> Johnson's fucking amazing in it. You need to check out this movie. We need to discuss this movie at some point. I'm yeah. telling you right now, fucking amazing thriller. So I checked that movie out, so I, once again, can't speak enough um, good words about that. Um, and out with that, that is really all that I can talk about in terms of the kind of the horror genre. Uh, suffice to say that I have purchased some more Arrow Blu-rays, which arrived, and I finally got my hands on a copy of Dawn of the Dead Blu-ray, the original. Um, now, Arrow put out a limited run of these back in the day, and they're now no longer in print. Um, and they sell used on eBay for about between 40 and £50 pounds for Jesus. a Blu-ray. 
because uh, they're highly collectible and I've always wanted a copy. I've always wanted a copy, but I refuse to pay that amount of money. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think someone foolishly was on Facebook and didn't know, sorry, on uh, eBay and didn't know what they had because um, I got this movie for a fucking steal. I got it for 18 pounds <laughs> and it's immaculate, Baz. I still got the original, I mean, the booklet looks like it hasn't been opened. The poster is in mint condition in it and it just, it's pristine. Mm-hmm. Christine copy. So I've been getting a lot of hate mail on uh, the old Twitters from people that are like, how did you get a copy of that? And then me telling them and then going, how much did you pay for it? And then me telling them, and like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've been trying to get a copy for years. Well, it's your loss, guys. you got to be in it to win it. That's all I say. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so that kind of that kind of wraps up um, the, the opening part of this podcast. Um, I will be back. Uh, very very shortly with a, a very special interview which I'm really looking forward to doing it's, um, I would love to say it's an exclusive but this guy's already featured on another podcast kind of talking about the same stuff but um, it's listener of the show Alec Aronson um, now I'm assuming I've pronounced his name right uh, it could be a Ronson but I think it's Aronson um, and he has uh, just finished making his debut movie uh, called Sting, so and that's Sting the movie, not Sting as in Tantric Sex God. Yeah, Sting. Hi. Um, so uh, I'm going to be coming up with a, a, a kind of short discussion topic with him, and then a little bit of an interview right after the break. But after that is Baz V Horror Time. Baz V Horror Ten, where we talk about that awesome movie that you guys selected, a Serbian film. Woo! Um, so we're going to be right back. <laughs> After this break. The News. And welcome back to the news section. So, like I just said there, uh, Baz is off for a, a small tea break and I am overjoyed to be joined by a very special guest to do the news and then a small interview with the podcast Under the Stairs. Um, The chap's name is Alec Aronson and um, he has been a busy man recently. Not only is is he an award winner when it comes to making movies, he has also just finished up his brand new movie, his horror movie, called Sting, which um, I believe will be hitting our screens at some point in 2015. So I'm really looking forward to that. How are you doing, Alex? Hey, man, I'm excited to be on the show. Uh, I've been listening for a while. I've been actually, I started listening uh, with the Jamie Jenkins In Fear review. Oh, God, and right, uh, yeah. Coincidentally, I just picked that up at a video store like two days ago. Uh, oh. And it was funny because I was messaging you about it and then I saw it down at the video store. But uh, yeah, I've been listening for a while. I love the show and I'm totally excited to be here. Well, I'm I'm very excited for you to be here because um, we have a lot of listeners out there and, you know, they they get in touch through various different ways. I don't actually have many listeners, to the best of my knowledge, unless my listeners can correct me, they're actually, you know, in the industry itself, in the, in the industry of either making movies or in the horror industry in general. So, I mean, um, I think the interview that we're going to do coming up is going to be quite interesting because um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that people out there, you know, a lot of myths and stereotypes they have about the glamorous world about making movies. I mean, you're a millionaire, Alex, aren't you? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, rolling for <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it'll be good. It'll be good to fire some questions your way, and um, you know, not only find out what's like being a filmmaker, but also your take on the horror horror industry in general. You know how you, how easy it is to get things done. And um, but first, we're going to do some news, and I picked two rather interesting news stories to chat about today. Uh, both stories come from shocktillyoudrop.com, and the first story is about Devil's Advocate, which. For those that remember, for those that are as old as me, uh, you will remember that The Devil's Advocate was a movie that came out in the 90s, um, kind of during the time when horror wasn't really horror and everything was up in there. Um, well, surprise, surprise, it's another one of the titles that has been groomed for television. The article says The Devil's Advocate is one of many supernatural thrillers that came out in the late 90s. And because it was born of a decade which comes with a particular stigma, and they've got in brackets, one that posts that 90s suck for horror, it isn't discussed at all. Um, but I think Taylor Haddock's film is pretty solid. That's their opinion. I'll get to my opinion. Um, Deadline is reporting today that the film might serve as inspiration for a TV series. According to the site, NBC has ordered up a pilot from the film's original producers, John Wells and Arnold Colson. Uh, Matt Verne from Bag of Bones is penning the script the film, which opened in 1997, starred Keanu Reeves, Al Pacino, Charlie Theron, Jeremy Jones and Craig T. Nelson. Reeves played an up-and-coming hotshot lawyer whose boss, Pacino, is, well, the devil. This comes with a lot of perks, but moral dilemmas as well. So, um, I mean, you, you've seen this movie, haven't you, Alex? Um, I actually, I haven't seen it in a very long time, so I'm a little fuzzy on it. Yeah, yeah. And basically, this to me was one of these. It's exactly like it says. We seem to get not quite horror movies in the nineties for a, for a, a big chunk in the middle of the nineties, said uh, just yeah. before Scream and that dropped. And a lot of these ones were kind of fringe elements, so they would throw the devil in there, but it's not a horror movie. Um, oh no, it's a thriller. Um, so, it's, a thriller. <laughs> it's a thriller. Be thrilled. Um, so, uh, in the case of this one, it's exactly like it says. Um, a rather wooden Keanu Reeves. I'm sorry, I'm. I'm he is pretty wooden. Um, Keanu Reeves um, is employed by a very overacting Al Pacino, uh, who actually plays quite a cool, sinister devil in this one. To work for a legal firm, um, very much like uh, Tom Cruise in the firm. Um, and is given all the privileges, but yeah, there's a couple of snags. One being that Pacino's the devil. Um, so, I mean, there's. I think what I would say first is, whilst I'm completely not against these sort of things transitioning over onto the the kind of small screen, I think um, recent examples, Hannibal being a big example, is. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can take a, a mythology set out, even in just a film or two films, and really expand on that, giving really good character development. Um, you know, th- th- that seems to be the way a lot of things are going, and a lot of it works. A lot of it doesn't necessarily work, and what, what kind of throws up to me is the choices for some of these intellectual properties seem a bit bizarre. Um, I mean, The Devil's Advocate, to the best of my knowledge, wasn't a massive success. Um, it's not on the levels of your your cycles or your 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 Hannibal Lecters, but yeah. at the same time though the story's quite interesting. I mean, um, from your point of view, I mean you're American, so you get a lot of these shows before we do over here. Okay, well, what's your take on this? You know, like the the transition from kind of intellectual horror property on the big screen making its way over to the small screen. You know, I'm open to it. I I think that horror television right now is in a 
high peak. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of really great things out there right now, and especially the whole thing of turning movies into TV shows. Prime example, Hannibal or Bates Motel. Um, they take kind of the central themes and ideas of those of those franchises, and then they turn them into something original and new. Uh, and and they have really great plot twists and really get great characters. So I'm open to it. Uh, this isn't the first one that they're doing. Uh, well, they're doing Devil's Advocate. They also announced they're doing one for Scream, a Scream mm-hmm. TV show. Uh, and I think there's a couple other franchises getting turned into TV shows. But I'm open to it. It's it's really the shows that are out right now with horror, Walking Dead and American Horror Story and Bates Motel and everything are really good. And, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy them. So I I'm open to it. I have an open mind with it. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can totally see that. I, as it stands just now, if we're, if I was doing a ratio, um, the ratio is much stronger on these things that are actually working as opposed to things that aren't working. Um, and as long as the the TV studio that's putting out the works understands that, you know, as long as I let them go the way of, say, Hannibal or Bates Motel and allows the actual writers themselves to create something, which is, you know, if you're dealing with the content, involving the devil it has to be dark you know that's just yeah. that's a pre- prerequisite that comes with that that as long as they allow them to go in the direction that the writers want you know I, I have faith and like I say I didn't necessarily I, I probably get booed for this I didn't really like Keanu Reeves performance in it I'm not a massive Keanu Reeves fan there's a couple of movies that I've seen him in that I think ah oh, you probably nailed that this is not one of them um, and they're big shoes as well to fill in the you know I mean who, who would want to tackle the devil as portrayed by Al Pacino. I mean, those are those are some pretty big shoes yeah. <laughs> out there. But there's a lot of A-list actors now coming across to the world of television. So, I mean, maybe that's not such a big deal after all. Maybe they can wrangle in one of those A-listers. So, yeah, we will obviously give you more developments as they come up on the, on the news feeds. We'll bring them over to the podcast. The second and last story we're going to talk about it's funny because before we mentioned this, you were saying that you you weren't aware of this, which doesn't surprise me because um, my country is more in sync with what's happening in things like Australia in terms of horror, etc. Right. America being so vast with, I mean, God knows how many movies get released on a weekly basis in your country. It must be quite dizzying, but... Um, there's this movie, for those out there that have been listening to my podcast, you've probably heard me mention it occasionally, or definitely on other shows, called The Babadook. Um, it's an Australian horror film, um, a kind of ghost story, if you will, and it's going to make its way finally over to the UK in October, uh, October 24th. It's also making its way over to the States, November 28th, and the trailer dropped. So, shock till you drop, said about this. Um, writer-director Jennifer Kent's The Babadook is one of this year's better horror offerings that works on a lot of levels. I really liked it a lot. In brackets, that's Ryan Turek at Shock Till You Drop that said that. It doesn't hit the States from IFC until November 28th, but we've had a look at the UK trailer here if you want a sneak peek. Six years, this is a synopsis by the way, six years after the violent death of her husband, uh, Amelia... Is at uh, is at a loss. She struggles to discipline her out of control six years old Samuel, a son she finds impossible to love. Samuel's dreams are played by a sinister monster he believes is coming to kill them both. 
With a disturbing book called The Babadook turns up at their house, Samuel is convinced that the Babadook is the creature he's been dreaming about. His hallucinations spiral out of control, and as he becomes more unpredictable and violent, Amelia is genuinely frightened by her son's behaviour. But when she begins to see glimpses of a sinister presence all around her, it slowly dawns on her that the thing Samuel has been warning her about may be real. So, um, like we were saying just off air, Alec, um, the 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 kind of thing about this one is, I've been getting bombarded a lot by by either listeners or you know horror sites or. Just in general, there's a lot of really positive reviews. This is this is a movie that seems to be garnering a lot of attention for something that's come out of a festival. We both looked at the trailer, and I think you were saying yourself, the trailer's really quite well done, isn't it? It is. It seems like it's a pretty creepy, atmospheric film. And uh, those type of films, I feel, do really well at the horror festivals and stuff because... It's the hardcore horror fans and the hardcore horror audiences, and you know they we live for that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean it looked it looked pretty well done, and um, I'm glad to see when projects from horror festivals and stuff like that get wider releases for the mass audience. Yeah, definitely. And what we were saying as well is that. Unfortunately, that comes as a bit of a double-edged sword because movies that tend to do quite well at festival level, just like you've just highlighted it straight away, at a festival level, you have a hardcore fan base of people that are going for the sole purpose to watch horror movies. Mm. That's you know that's what they're there for. They're surrounded by like-minded horror fans, and you know they really embrace the atmosphere. Some of these movies, unfortunately. Um, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the film's fault. I would say it's the studio fault. Um, get picked up by larger studios that then give them a wider distribution, pinning the prospect of success on the back of how many horror films saw at festivals. Um, recent examples are definitely your next, which to me had one of the worst marketing campaigns last year for such a fun movie. Um, it's a very difficult one to market because if you give away, if you if you want to actually portray what that movie is really like, you have to give away a couple of big spoilers. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, when when people went to see that movie, like I did, they went to see it expecting a really really gnarly kind of gritty dark home invasion movie. And I mean, I was pleasantly surprised because I'm not the biggest home invasion fan. I, I don't dislike the genre, but I think we're talking about ratios. I think there's a hell of a lot of bad ones out there because it can be done fairly cheap um, in comparison to the really good ones. Your next worked for me on so many levels, and I loved it. And I was pretty bombed out to find out that you know people just didn't go to it. They got confused with the whole purge thing that was happening. Uh, recently, Oculus has went through a similar problem, uh, where it did you know fantastic business at festivals. It was rushed forward, given a cinematic release, and you know not only were reviews kind of lukewarm, but so was turnout. To me, that's another film which I think is a really strong movie. I think it's one of the better kind of ghost movies recently, just because it, it dares to be a bit more different. Um, now, generally, a while ago, these movies might not necessarily have had a cinematic release. They would have maybe done the festival circuit, maybe done a bit of VOD, and, um, you know, made its way to Blu-ray or DVD. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, what's your take on this? Because obviously you're a filmmaker, 
you are you have made a movie and you want your movie to have you know it's you want it to play to the biggest audience as possible sure. um so so what's your take on that i mean how do you think the industry is coping with these sort of things especially of festival buzz and do you think is there any way to really gauge these things or is it basically you know potluck i don't that's that's a good question because i feel like well let's take your next for example like you said it had a marketing campaign that didn't really market the movie that it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Your Next was really a fun, entertaining popcorn movie. And it wasn't this uh, kind of darker home invasion film, kind of like The Strangers or something like that. Yeah. What I thought the movie was going to be going into it. And just like you, I was pleasantly surprised and had a great time with it but it wasn't what I was expecting. Same thing with Oculus. I hadn't, I really didn't have any idea what to expect with Oculus. But um, I went in and uh, that's, a, that's a very different kind of movie. And that's mm-hmm. a, um, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, there are other examples. You know, if we were to take SAR, Paranormal Activity, they came from wildly successful festival runs. And then they go to theaters and they become these huge franchises. Um, yeah. So it's really 50-50 on these movies when you have a movie that does really wildly successful on a, on a festival run and then goes to a wide theatrical release. Uh, it's really 50-50, I feel, but that is the goal, I think, of the filmmakers to want your film to be seen by as many people as possible and get as wide an audience as possible. But I think that landscape of traditionally releasing a movie in theaters and then going to DVD, I think that's all changing. And I think it's for the better for independent films. Um, I think that it's really getting better for independent filmmakers because it's more about digital distribution or putting it on Netflix or iTunes or mm-hmm. or something like that or going to video on demand. So I don't think your film dies if it doesn't go to theaters in a wide release um, like it may have would have 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's moving in a positive direction for independent filmmakers, but as far as these independent films getting wide releases, which is less and less now... Um, I, I really I think it's it's all by chance of what one kind of sticks to the mass audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 like you say. I mean, without the without people actually taking a risk on these things, you do deny like a, a saw franchise, whether you like or love how it ends, um, or even a paranormal activity. I mean, it's it's getting a horror to the masses. That in itself encourages studios to invest more money in movies which are of a horror background, you know, the classic example of that working slightly against its favour would be with uh, Deliver Us From Evil this year, which was basically put in the slot of The Conjuring last year. Yeah. No one could anticipate for one second that The Conjuring was going to be as big a hit as it was. I don't think, on paper, they expected that. I think it was put in there almost as like a, you know, this movie will do quite well, but it won't do phenomenal. I, I don't think they were expecting blockbuster success with it. No, and I, I, it really did. It seemed to just strike a chord with, with, with 
uh, with the audiences out there, with the fans, out with horror especially. Yeah. Um, so you then move another movie into the position, you know, a, potentially a strong hitter, and then people just don't show up. So it is, it is like this kind of 50-50 scenario. Um, but I suppose without risk, there is no reward. So... Um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, that'll wrap us up for uh, the news stories. Um, we've already pretty much started doing the interview, so we're going to take a very short break. When I come back, I'm going to be chatting with Alex about horror, the industry, and everything that surrounds it. So we're going to be right back after this break. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avenger. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. And welcome back. And like I said just there, uh, I am joined by filmmaker, uh, so an award-winning filmmaker, um, Alec Aronson. And um, Alex has been very busy recently. He has just finished uh, filming his new movie, The Sting, or just Sting, I think it is, isn't it? It's just Sting. Yeah, just Sting. Just Sting. Um, yeah, so... Um, we're going to get onto that movie uh, in a second, but uh, I just thought we'd throw in some some general sort of horror questions. I mean, have you always been a fan of horror? And if so, what movie did you watch that kind of really made you think you know horror is you know this is my genre? Uh, well, I'm going to give you the most cliche, typical answer that you're going to ever hear in your life. <laughs> um, but I remember. I was very, very young, and I was flipping through the TV, and um, John Carpenter's Halloween was on. Yeah. And uh, the white mask, just the plain blank white mask as a child frightened me so much. And um, then I remember not too long after I caught it on TV, it was like on MTV here in the States, and not too long after that, I saw a copy of the DVD in Walmart for like five bucks. And I begged my mom to buy it. So she bought it for me. And it came in this dual package with George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Oh, God. So, yeah, it was like best $5 ever <laughs> could have been invested. And uh, so brought both of those home, watched both of those, and immediately fell in love with the genre. And with I had always had an interest in filmmaking, but... I knew from that point that horror filmmaking was where my passion was going to lie and, and what kind of how I wanted to break into it. And so, uh, yeah, J John Carpenter's Halloween definitely is probably my biggest influence and why I'm 
doing what I'm doing today. And if ever there was a film to get you into horror, by God, that's that's probably one of the best. <laughs> and the best, and yeah, the most typical cliche answer that any horror buff could give you. Um, <laughs> There's a reason for that, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, um, obviously, you, you grew up watching horror movies. Is there a particular subgenre of horror that is is your wheelhouse? Are you more a lover of the genre as a whole, or you know, um, what do you gravitate more towards? Is it slashers? I would probably say, well, that's tough. Well, yeah, slashers are definitely some of my favorite. Love Halloween, love Scream, love Texas Chainsaw. Um. And, uh, but supernatural films tend to scare me more, um, just because it's that whole feeling of the unknown. So, um, I have a love in, for, for all of the different subgenres, but, uh, I would say slasher holds the throne in my book. Yeah. You're, you're in good company here. I've, I've always found that. Yeah. As much as I, I love horror and all its different quirky little facets um i always for whatever reason always come back to the comfort of a slasher movie yeah. i don't know if um it's because i just like the formula you know just the the, the kind of general formula basic scenario of mm-hmm. you know people being stalked by something um or, or what is but it's always been it's always been my favorite probably always will be my favorite it's one of these things that yeah i always always remember when i was getting into horror and um because I got into it at a really young age, like a, a stupid age, um, due to bad babysitting, first and foremost, um, seeing things like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Maniac Cop at like eight years right. old, <laughs> which was probably not not the best thing. And I always remember getting told, you know, it's just a phase you'll grow out of it. Um, and uh, that's not happened. <laughs> so, Still waiting. Uh, of course. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, so... you kind of like the slasher thing and all the rest. But kind of looking at, I mean, horror's one of these weird... It's it, it's a weird thing in itself because um, a lot of things sometimes end up... And this is something I've, I've been speaking about more recently on other other kind of shows that I've, I've been allowed to guest on. But horror seems to be just like the dumping ground for a lot of different things that don't kind of quantify as horror, but are definitely not a drama. They're not a drama. Um, you know, or, or, or an action movie. So so things make their way over there. And I think that in some way, kind of, you know, we're a very open crowd. You know, we're, we're very yeah. happy for, for people to join us. <laughs> um, and not in a kind of cult way, but maybe in a cult way. Um, so, I mean, you, I've grown up with all these sort of things. At, at what point do you decide that, you know, you want to, to do your own, you want to make your own movie? I mean, is that is that something, once again, that you've always known that you wanted to do? Or was it, you know, was it just one of these things that just happened, you know, maybe without necessarily a lot of planning or a lot of forethought? No, this was definitely something that I've wanted to do since day one, since, since the beginning. And um, I got to I got the opportunity after working on a couple of other feature films and doing a bunch of my own short films and then the opportunity came up to finally do my own feature film and and the finances fell in place and everything and I felt like you know what no time like the present I've been wanting to do this for so long and this rarely happens when the finances fall into place in your favor yes yeah. so I I 
had an idea already and and I figured well this is this is the time to get it done this is the time to do it so um that's really how my feature came into fruition just out of opportunities and experiences that I had had previously kind of opened the door for this yeah and, and I mean there, there you were saying that's a that's quite a quite an interesting thing as well because I mean obviously the way the industry's going just now um, especially some of the big news that's come out in the last couple of weeks is that um, you know finding funding for your movies is becoming increasingly more difficult um, the industry being the way it is I think um, mm. studios are more likely to spend less money on a horror movie now than ever um, I just yep. I think but they, they want maximum returns. You know, horror's always been one of those genres where it's pretty much a given you'll make your money back unless yeah. you spend an absolute fortune um, yeah. on the movie. You'll make your money back in some capacity. It might take a couple of years, but you'll you'll make your money back right. eventually. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the biggest news recently was that Rob Zombie started his own kind of Kickstarter campaign for his next movie, 31. Um, that a lot of people, myself included, have been slightly sceptical of it, but we are aware that, you know, people are allowed to put their money to whatever cause is possible. It has been raised by, not myself, but by other people in the industry, that people of the level of a Rob Zombie doing this could maybe detract from independent movies being financed through a similar method because if you are an unknown director who maybe has done a two three short movies and you're moving out to try and do your first feature movie and you're using a kickstarter how can your name compare with the likes of a rob zombie exactly i i, I mean is this something that you're conscious of i mean like you uh, were saying you've you found the funding for your movie um however i mean is that something in the back of your mind? Uh, yeah, well, this whole, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot too. And um, I didn't have to do the crowdfunding for my movie. I just went through independent investors, which, I mean, I feel if this is my first feature film, and, uh, and like you've said, I've had experience on other feature films or short films or whatever, but this is my first feature film that I'm helming. And, I can get independent investors. Why can't somebody like Rob Zombie get his own independent? I don't understand why he's doing this crowdfunding thing, which I feel kind of might take the attention away from other ind great independent projects that might need the extra hand. Um, and so, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm on the fence about it. Mm -hmm. There's the one side where if you want to fund it, go ahead and fund it. You can spend your money however you want. But then on the other side, it's Rob Zombie. He has a name for himself. He is a famous celebrity. Um, and so him going on this on this crowdfunding site and getting his money raised for his film um, like this kind of takes the attention away from other independent artists who might need the money for their films so they can get noticed and and I don't know I'm I'm 50/50 on it only because people can do whatever they want and and at the end of the day no matter what I or you or anyone says but at the same time I feel like zombie and and a lot of celebrities have been doing this they've been doing the crowdfunding I don't know it's I mean they're using their name to their advantage but at the same time they're taking away from the independent artists as well so it's a it's a 50-50 situation really 
Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the you can obviously we're looking at that more positive light. Your movie's been made. That's you. That's you finished like um, the photography part. That's you done that. You're you're moving on with it. Sting. That's that's the focus now. Um, so I mean, in the case of this movie, what can you tell us about the movie without spoiling it? Yeah. Uh, so the movie opens. Um, these three girls, they rob a convenience store, they're doing drugs, um, and it's they're partying, they're traveling, they're just having a good time, really. And uh, they take their money and their drugs, and they go on a cross-country road trip in the States, and um, they get into a car accident and are assisted by this man, uh, this stranger, and from there on, it becomes kind of a cat and mouse uh, thriller through the back countryside of America. And um, there, it gets difficult to explain from there because there are so many plot twists and so many turns that the, the story takes um, uh, from just this cat and mouse chasing game. Um, so... Uh, it gets difficult to further yeah. explain without giving away the twists that occur um, because the twists start to occur kind of in the middle of the film and then just keep going till the end. Um, so, was this movie something that you, you wrote yourself or was it something that you, was it a script that was given to you that you developed or how, no. how did that whole process start? Uh, I wrote the story myself. I, uh, I like to write and direct uh, it. I think it's easier that way, at least for myself personally. I kind of write the story out and I'm storyboarding it at the same time and um, it kind of uh, creates a nice singular vision. Um, so I like to do it that way. And usually I come up with the twists first. As a horror fan creating a horror movie, I try and create films that I, as a horror fan, would want to see. Mm -hmm. And something that I love seeing in every movie is a good twist. So uh, I definitely wanted to put twists in this movie. So I came up with the twists first and then built the rest of the movie around that. Um, and that also gives it the, the ability to go back and watch it again. And, you'd be like, and you notice certain hints and stuff um, that you might have not noticed on the first viewing. Um, and that was strategic in building the movie around all of these twists. Do you find yourself then, I mean, because, I, I mean, it makes perfect sense, you say to me, that you would write the story and then you would direct that story because when you're writing that, you can pretty much envisage how it will look on screen as you're writing it. Um, do, do you find it difficult um, knowing that you may be constrained by a budget then to pen particular scenes do you do you find that you write something and you go that would be the most amazing scene but there's no way i'll ever be able to shoot it yeah there's a quote actually from the soska sisters uh when they were doing their press for american mary they were talking about their first film dead hooker in a trunk yeah and they had a very very limited budget and they said they write drunk at it sober so basically you write with a completely open mind, uh, right as big as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, go back to it with your budget and skim down 
scenes and cut out scenes. Obviously, you do have to cut out scenes when you're restricted by a budget. Um, I wrote a first draft that had some pretty big things in it. And then I wrote, I went back through and sifted through the story. And, um, and this was one of the great things about being able to direct it as well, was I was able to write things that I knew how I would be able to do a stunt like doing a car flip, for example, yeah, um, is very difficult to do on a restrained budget, but it is possible. And um, so that's one of the beautiful things about being the writer and director is that you kind of have that control over the story and over what gets cut and what stays in and um, all according to the budget that you have. And, um, I mean, like... So I mean, you were saying that filming's finished. I mean, is that is that filming finished, and now you move on to the next phase, as in editing, um, sound worker, all the rest? Or is that the movie now done? Uh no, yeah. So we just wrapped filming last week, and um, we only went over filming about a week and a half. So mm-hmm. that was not that bad. Um, and, uh, so yeah, now I move on to post-production. So now I move on to editing and sound and music and all of that fun stuff. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it's tedious. We have about 20 hours of footage, uh, to go through that you cut down into an hour and a half. Oh God. Um, so it's tedious sitting there reviewing it all. But, um, this is fun. This is where the movie actually, you actually start to see it come alive. So, uh, it's tedious, but it's really fun and rewarding at the same uh, time. When it comes to doing the editing work, is that something that will solely be done by yourself, or do you have anyone you're collaborating with, You know, another pair of eyes to sit down and do this? Yeah, I, I, I do my own editing, but I definitely do have a few assistant editors that are going to come on board. And during each process, when I'm writing it, when I'm directing it, and when I'm editing it, I always try and bring in fresh eyes because at this point, I've been spending a year, over a year with the movie now from writing it and filming it, um, that the story is not new to me. The plot twists don't surprise me. The deaths aren't thrilling to me. It's, it's, I'm, I'm used to it. I'm so drained in it. So um, I really think it's important to bring in fresh eyes during each process that can kind of say, well, I, do you think, you know, I can bounce ideas off of them. Do you think this is working or do you think... This is not working, and I bring in people. I try and bring in people that are that work in film and 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 have experience in film. But also, I bring in horror fans um, and some of my close friends that don't necessarily have a background in film, but have a love for horror. Um, I go to them sometimes, and I say would you think this would be cooler or would you think seeing this would be cooler? So I bounce ideas off of, off of both camps uh, to try and create the best end product. And um, you were saying you expect like, the movie will be out next year. How long do you give yourself? Like in terms of, I, I mean, is it, is it something that you're, you're strictly timing yourself to? You know, I need to have you know the edit's done by this date you know then i need to have all the sound design all the sound work needs to be crafted in by this date i mean is that is that quite strictly timed or is it more uh you know you have a general ballpark yeah. figure i yeah i try and just give myself loose deadlines uh just so i can 
if I didn't do that, I don't think I'd get anything done. <laughs> um, yeah, just kind of goals to reach, but I, I don't have an end release date for this yet. I don't know when it will be completely finished. I know it will be next year, but I am in no way going to rush the editing process just to get something out there. Yeah. I want it to be a good, thrilling end product. And so I wouldn't put something just to rush it out to get it there. I'd rather take my time and make sure it's something I'm really happy with and make sure it's something that I think other fellow horror fans would be in love with as well. So, I mean, you also, this is this is not the first movie that you've done. You've been involved in the industry for quite a while now. Um, like I said at the start, you've actually won awards as well, which is which must, on some level, I mean, first and foremost, you make movies for yourself and for the fans. But to get the recognition as well must be quite a good feeling that, you know, people, not just that your average Joe, people that are actually critiquing movies for for a living, that's what they get paid right. for, um, are actually seeing your work and, and noting the merit of it. I mean, um, can you tell us a bit about that? How did that all come about? Uh, what what movie was that for? And um, how did you feel when you were awarded your, your yeah. award? Yeah, um, well, I've been doing short films for a very long time. And then my, my latest short film is called What Comes From Within. It's not online yet um, because I'm still doing appearances with it. But it, it just... it toured all over the country and um all over the states and then it just started getting positive recognition and and the film festivals that it was getting positive recognition at were uh film festivals that had they were either horror film festivals which were those were the ones that i loved to be a part of um because like i said before i'm a horror fan making horror films for other horror fans mm -hmm. so when you go to these festivals and you get awarded with these awards especially the horror movie awards horror movie festivals and it's fellow horror fans that are the ones that voted on or, or pick the panel of films that's what it really it's a nice validation it really i i don't give a crap about what any critics or anything would say it's really the only people I care about are the horror fans and uh, so when the horror fans are happy with it and they're entertained by it then I am perfectly happy and um, it, it I, I'm flattered and, and still it, it's hard to process because this has been my dream for so long and then when you start to get recognized on a more uh, on a level with these kind of accolades and um, we won best horror film at the Hollywood International Short Festival mm -hmm. and that was a big one um, and it, it's flat it's very flattering it's very flattering and um, I mean doing the festival circuit have you I mean you'll obviously make really good contacts you'll see the same faces I would imagine as well especially when kind of touring a, a, a short Round like different horror festivals, etc. Um, is there anyone that you've you've met recently that you think are potential up and comers within the within the movie industry? Well, it's funny. I've been touring this movie for a really long time, for about a year and a half now, actually. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first festival we went to. I think it was a horror festival in Texas, and uh, they were showing this movie. They were premiering this movie that had already been out for a while, but it was called 
Absentia. Oh, yeah. And that was the guy who then went on to direct Oculus. That's and right. So yeah. I remember seeing Absentia and I'm like, this is a really cool movie. This is a really entertaining movie. Um, the director wasn't there at that particular screening, but I'm like, I, I, I feel like he's going he's gonna to do something. And then this spring, Oculus came out and I was like, yeah, good for him. I was, I was happy to see that, that he actually did go somewhere. Um, that was, yeah, that was one film that really stuck out to me that I remember. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for those listeners out there that are thinking about potentially creating their own movie or, or trying to get in with with movie work in general, uh, I mean, what what kind of advice can you can you give someone that? Is it a case of you know just keep trying or just that the best way to do it is just get involved with it straight away or I mean are, are there any pitfalls or any warnings that, that you've come across through through your years of doing it that you would recommend that people be aware of um yeah I mean it, it's a different road for everybody I think I think it's a different way that everybody gets involved um and there's no like well if you do a b and c then you'll be in the film business mm-hmm. um it's really just yeah, there's no one particular path. I, as soon as I graduated high school, uh, immediately put myself out there and I moved to New York and um, I immediately just tried to get out on, on productions. And then when I was 18, either 18 or 19, I had just graduated. That's when I started doing some work for Trauma and did uh, Return to Newcomb High and, and oh, both films. Um, so, I just kind of hit the ground running out of the gate as right when I was 18, as soon as I could. And when I wasn't working on bigger films or those films, I was spending my other time creating my own films. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I created my recent short film, which then I, I was touring around and got all the accolades for and things. So it's building off of these different experiences and doing as much as you can and whatever you can and even if at the moment it seems like it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a lot, it, it definitely has the potential to open doors and, and, and um, hopefully grow into something, something bigger. Excellent, excellent. So um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this, uh, this interview just now. And I want to thank you first and foremost, Alex, for coming on and chatting to me. But... Um, there are people out there that will have listened to your wise words and listened to basically the, the synopsis of your movie and, and will be thinking now, how do we keep up to date with what's happening with Sting movie and, and how, how do we get in touch with this guy, Alex? Um, where can people find you online and where can they keep uh, up to date with things that are happening with Sting the movie? Yeah, um, well, you can follow Sting Movie Production at www.facebook.com slash stingmovie. And you can follow, I also give updates and, and film updates and projects that I'm working on and all of that kind of fun bullshit uh, <laughs> on my Twitter, which is at Aronson1, A-R-O-N-S-O-N-1. And um, yeah, I'm always posting a bunch of random shit that comes to mind on my Twitter. So that's more for the random stuff. But if you just want to follow the movie and not any of my nonsense, then you can find us on Facebook at Sting Movie. 
That's brilliant. And um, I hope that you'll come back on a, a future show to to keep us up to date with how the movie's coming along and let people know um, maybe potential dates and things like that when the movie might be dropping. Uh, or if you just want to come on and talk movies, you're always welcome. I would fucking love to. That's awesome, my man. Thank you very much, Alex. We're going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear the trailer for the next Baz V Horror. Baz V Horror number 10, Baz takes on a Serbian film. We're going to be right back after this break. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss kiss the the goat. A hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com. Oh, good God! A butthole casserole! In a world gone mad, one man will step up to the plate. A horror novice who wants to take on all that the horror genre can throw at him. Will he be triumphant? in this eternal battle against the horror genre. Who will win? Who will be triumphant? Who can conquer horror? I ask you, who wins in Baz v Horror? Without a word of a lie, and I'm genuinely not making this up, and I've never done this in my life, I just went, SHIT! Ti si porno glumac koji želi da zna o čemu se radi u filmu.
l'impression ou pas. Welcome back, and you have just heard the trailer for a Serbian film. So, it's Baz V Horror, episode number 10. We put out to you that you could choose any film at all from any genre you wanted. The sole purpose of your choice was to pick a movie that would scare the shit out of the Baz. And I don't think there was any surprise between me and you, Baz, that people focused in on a movie which you had said on a previous show... I will never watch this movie unless podcast under the stairs listeners force me to. Yeah. Um, so you pretty much dropped the gauntlet there and our listeners picked up that gauntlet, slapped us in the face with it. Um, <laughs> and it was close for a while. I'll give it that. Um, I won by about, I think it was about four or five votes. Um, but it wasn't a complete runaway. Uh, Mungo Lake was in number two. Um, and number three was Megan is Missing, which was a film I had suggested. Um, well, sorry, a film that I had uh, put my vote against. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people wanted us to do a Serbian film. So let me give you some information on this piece of shit. Right. Um, <laughs> I think people know where I lie on this. Right. <clears throat> a Serbian film came out in 2010. Um, it was... Uh, and I'm going to struggle with... with names here actors and actresses because it is all in serbian i think <clears throat> so um it was directed by sarjan spavodzic i think that's how you pronounce his name and there's a lot of actors in this right but the guy that directed the movie plays the main role uh, which is milos so oh i didn't uh, know that he's the director was he yeah well to me this is yeah um he also his brother, no, it's not his brother, sorry, I'm telling a lie. I was about to say his brother plays Vukmir, but uh, it's not his brother. Uh, yeah, so he directed, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of comparisons to this movie as to something like August Underground, um, and that I think we're going to have similar feelings about this movie, mm-hmm. and the guy that directed it also starred in it. So, um, the synopsis for this movie is, an ageing porn star agrees to participate in an art film in order to make a clean break from the business, only to discover that he's been drafted into making a paedophilia and necrophilia-themed snuff film. So, Baz, um, there was a lot of hype about this movie on the Facebook page. A lot of people like, oh no, if Baz sees this, he will never be able to unsee it. And yeah, this will put Baz off movies forever. And oh, Baz will never need to, Baz will never look at porn the same way again. Um, <laughs> uh, which I, 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 I'm i telling you right now, the only way I would never look at porn the same way again is if someone chopped my dick off, right? <laughs> so it would, take, it would take a lot to make me look at it in a different way. But anyway, so there's a lot of people saying these sort of things. There's a lot of, there was actually, we had a slight false start, which I think built the atmosphere up <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, of people basically saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then the copy I sent you of the uncut version uh, didn't have working subtitles. Mm-hmm. Worked on my computer, didn't work on yours. Uh, so after I sourced, don't ask me how I sourced it, uh, another copy, you sat down and watched it on Tuesday, which is last night. 
and we did a first ever simultaneous watch on yes. uh, on the thing and tweeted about it and the tweets were pretty funny i'll go i'll get into them later on because i thought some of them were strikingly similar we were posting <laughs> the same things about the same time <laughs> so uh which was pretty funny however i will now open the floor to you my good friend tell us how you got on with a serbian film yeah i'll do dunk um but, but I'm going to throw in a wee quick disclaimer here. My my sort of synopsis of the film might be a bit more brief than it normally is, given that I didn't actually take notes while I was watching it. Um, primarily for two reasons. One, it's a subtitled film. So if you look down when you're taking notes, you miss what they're fucking saying. Uh-huh. Um, and two, I was trying to tweet and everything as well, and it just... It wasn't fucking happening, and because we were watching it in tandem, I didn't want to keep pausing it. So my notes were fairly sparse um, in terms of the actual sort of plot of it, if you like. As you say, um, we had a bit of a false start the night before. Um, the copy you'd sent me didn't have subtitles. We then, <laughs> we then discovered, quite interestingly, that the uncut version of this film is actually on YouTube. Yeah, I'd, um, how fucking shocking is that, by the way? With the subtitles... But what it also has is some fucking lunatic little Russian guy speaking over the top of it, dubbing the film in Russian. But he does every character. <laughs> so it's literally that there's a wee Russian guy next to you talking all the way through the fucking film. I watched like 40 seconds of it, I'm like, fuck this. That's even worse than not having the subtitles, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so like you say, you, ma- you managed to source it. Um, I had purchased the film. Um, you know, I like to. I built up my little collection of films that we've done, but um, the the versions that are available over here vary in price from about seven pounds to about twenty five pounds. Some of which claim to be uncut, and apparently none of them fucking are. So I ended up. I just bought the cheapest UK cut, basically. But we didn't watch that. I'm aware that a lot of the film is cut out of it. So you'd source me the uncut. So just for any clarification, I did watch the full uncut version of this. As far as the film itself goes, the film opens up with a fairly kind of run-of-the-mill porn scene, if you like. Uh, a guy stumbles out of a club with this girl and basically has sex with her in an alleyway. And we find out quite quickly that the, the guy that's starring in this is the character of Milos, who's the main character in, in the film that we're watching. Um, but basically his son has discovered this DVD or video in the house and has stuck it on and it's his dad doing this prostitute thing in an alleyway kind of thing. And that kind of sets the scene. We find out that Milos is this kind of semi-retired porn star um, who was very successful at one time, but is trying to get away from the industry now. Um, He has a wife uh, and a young son who's about six or seven. Um, And they have a very, very good relationship. And his wife knows all about his his career and everything kind of thing, you know. Um, We also find out that he he has... well, it's kind of hinted at at the start, and you find out as it goes on. He, ha- he has a bit of a drinking problem as well. He's drinking quite a lot. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's kind of struggling with things that he's done in the past, and he's struggling to try and get away from it. He's not really making any money and stuff like that. Um, we also fairly quickly get introduced to his extremely creepy policeman brother. Um, oh, fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking creepier than the Milos character is, to be quite honest. Um and we kind of find out as the film progresses, he's got some real problems, kind of sexually, some real kind of sexual hang-ups, and he also has a very unhealthy kind of fascination with Milos's wife, who is very hot, as to be said. But he, the brother's quite clearly a bit obsessed with her. Um, fairly quickly, in Milos goes for this meeting with this female porn star, 
um, that he knows and is obviously kind of friends with. Um, he'd worked with her previously. She has carried on in the industry, and we find out she's she's gone down a very extreme kind of path and in the porn she ended up doing. But she's basically approaching him about this big job um, that he's wanted for. People are looking for him to come in on this film. Um, she puts it across as kind of artistic rather than pure pornography kind of thing. It's like nothing nobody's ever seen. And basically, if he agrees to do it, he's going to be set up for life um, and his family will ever have to worry about money again kind of thing. Um he doesn't seem that keen to do it. He goes back and through a kind of fairly brief chain of events, he kind of reluctantly agrees to do this with his wife's blessing, it has to be said at that point. Um, so shortly after that, we then meet the character of Vukmir, who is this producer guy. Um, a very fucking strange kind of guy. Um, he seems to see pornography as, as some kind of you know, art form type yeah. thing. That's how he views it kind of stuff. Um, he's very kind of extroverted, almost kind of coked up probably as we also briefly get introduced to this female assistant that he describes as a doctor. I'm pretty sure she's not medically qualified. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so we meet him um, and then basically Milos agrees to do this film He's given a con. He's not keen at first because the guy won't really tell him much about it. But he basically presents him a contract, and and the money in it is kind of jaw dropped. You don't see how much it is, but basically he can't believe the money that he's seen, kind of thing. But this contract specifies that he will not know anything about any of the scenes that he's going to film. But he's basically going to walk into the scene. He's not going to yeah. know what he's walking into, kind of thing. And this is very pivotal in the film. Um, what else was I going to say about that bit there? Yeah, th this this Vukmir character explains that this is because they want natural reaction. They don't want to make a film. They want to film real life. Not this kind of fucking bollocks. <laughs> so that kind of sets up the premise. Um, then filming starts. So basically he's getting picked up uh, every day by this big, swarthy, bald Serbian guy who has... A tattoo behind his right ear, a large black tattoo of like a kind of reel of film. Yeah. Um, and he appears to be some kind of fucking chauffeur guy. So he's picking him up. Um, he takes him out. It's basically like a kind of abandoned kind of orphanage place that they go to to film this. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, filming almost sort of starts almost as soon as he arrives. He basically, walks through the front door and there's a guy standing and it's. I holidayed in the former Yugoslavia when I was a kid, and when all the mm -hmm. troubles broke out in the Balkans, and with the Serbs and the Croats and all that kind of stuff, I kind of followed it a little bit in the news because a lot of the places that were appearing in the news were places I had been when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of familiar with the background of what happened in the Balkans and stuff like that. And these guys, they're, they're dressed like some of the Serbian paramilitaries that were going at the time of the, of the big Muslim massacres and stuff like that, and Srebrenica and places like that. Um, they're, they're dressed kind of paramilitary, black, like big heavy-duty kind of policemen kind of thing. They're, they're all carrying, like, fucking truncheons and stuff like that, but they've also all got video cameras, and they appear to be filming this. Um, and this is it. So he's basically filming a kind of scene a day. They, they start off fairly tame. There's no kind of sexual contact initially. Um, but... They get progressively weirder and creepier and more sexual. 
as as it goes on. And at the start, it is it's kind of fucking odd, but it's not particularly weird or anything like that. Um, the first kind of sexual scene, there's this female character that they bring in who is supposedly cheated on her war hero husband, and there's like a young girl with her that's her daughter. She's trying mm. to get uh, like custody of her daughter or some fucking thing. Anyway, he ends up um, basically having sex with her, and they're talking to him through a little earpiece the whole time, telling him what to do, so he's to hit her. And he kind of reluctantly kind of agrees to do this. He's quite, he's obviously very uncomfortable with this. Um, then there's a scene where she has clearly been beaten prior to it kind of thing. She's performing oral sex on him. And then he looks up and the young girl is then sitting in a chair at the back of the room watching this. Now, she's underage, this girl, or it's certainly yeah. supposed to be. She's like kind of 14-ish, 13, 14 looking kind of thing. Um, he obviously is quite kind of started this and kind of wants to stop and one of these big paramilitary bastards comes in and kind of puts him in a headlock and forces him just to stay there while this kind of crack whore one is giving him oral sex kind of thing and then she's biting his junk. Yeah. Uh, it was all quite... Un- and then he ends up, he's getting talked to through a little earpiece and he's punching her in the face kind of thing. It's all pretty unpleasant but it's not the fucking worst thing you've ever seen kind of thing. Um... After this, he decides enough's enough. He's not having anything to do with it. And he goes and tells Vukmir that he, he basically wants out, that he won't do anything that involves kids. And nothing had happened to this young girl, but you know that it's heading in that fucking direction kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Vukmir tries to convince him not to go. Vukmir is this huge fan of him from his previous work. I should have probably mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And he, he then bizarrely in, in trying to convince him to stay shows him this video that's been made and this is the bit I had heard of yeah. before and this was the reason I said that I wouldn't watch this film voluntarily I though had thought that this felt this scene came at the end of the film yeah, I, I could thought, see maybe why you thought it came yeah. at the end of the film. Because when, when people talk about this scene, it's almost as if they are talking about this is the pivotal... In most horror movies, the worst shit happens at the very end. Yeah. In the case of this one, it happens in the middle. My my opinion of the worst thing happens in yeah. the middle. So he's basically... He's, he's, he watches this kind of grainy, cheap-looking film. There is a, a girl, a heavily pregnant woman, on a bench... And she's in labour. And this other character then appears, and it's the guy that's been chauffeuring him. And he enters, kind of strips down his underwear and puts on gloves and then basically delivers this baby. And the minute the baby's born, he molests the baby. Mm-hmm. And at this point, well, Mulish kind of gets up and he, he kind of storms out and this fucking Vukmir annoying character is screaming about newborn porn. This yeah. is the way forward. This is the new thing. It's newborn porn that's never been done before. And like I say, that scene was what I'd heard. I didn't know any detail about it. I just knew there was a scene with this baby and the baby gets raped. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the scene itself, while obviously the idea of it is fucking abhorrent, the scene is not that bad. Uh, considering what it could be mm-hmm. because of the subject matter involved. But the thing that kind of struck me, unlike films like Cannibal Holocaust, where mm-hmm. some of the early unsettling scenes involving when they kill these animals, it's real. You know, they actually kill these animals. Yeah. You, you know straight away that this isn't real. One, obviously, nobody would ever be allowed to film it, but you start picking holes in it. Like, for instance, the guy that performs this act kind of smiles at the camera before he does it. Mm-hmm. And he also has the huge black fucking tattoo behind his ear. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't watch child pornography, but I am assuming the fucking people that do these things do not show their face on the camera. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's things like that. So it, it, it just it adds a, an air of unrealism is that a fucking word the opposite of yeah, realism yeah. you know straight away you're going oh, this is just a little as, shit yeah, yeah. As, as, as unrealistic yeah, yeah. but it uh, it doesn't detract from the fact that it's just fucking disgusting it really really is it, it's sickening do you know what I mean that they came up with this fucking idea to include that in this film anyway I'm not going to dwell on it any more than that Um Milos is obviously, he's horrified by this and he runs off. Um, and as he's driving away, um, he kind of starts to freak out a bit. And he's stopped at lights and this doctor, female doctor character appears dressed kind of like a PVC nurse's outfit kind of thing at the fucking traffic lights, you know, and she comes over. Yeah. And Milos is behaving kind of oddly he's kind of clambering out the window and pawing at her breasts and stuff like that and she gets out of the car and starts driving and he's kind of groping her as she's driving and stuff like this and um, then it cuts and and we see him basically waking up in his own house Um, and he's he's got kind of dry blood in his face he's obviously had a bit of a fucking hard time and he looks at the clock next to the bed and I wasn't aware of what day or whatever it was before this, but it clearly implies that this is a number, certainly of hours, if not days later kind of thing. It is much later from the incident in the car. Um, And after that, the rest of the film is essentially a series of kind of flashback scenes that take you from him seeing that horrible video to waking up in the bed. And it transpires that he was basically drugged. As I said earlier on, he has a drinking problem. Um, he's obviously very uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff that's happening. This Vukmir keeps firing him whiskey. Um, and in one of the fl- early flashback scenes, we see this Vukmir telling him that he's essentially giving him something called a... It was a bull still stimulant, like Viagra for cattle. Yes. Something to give male bulls to get them horny to impregnate cows. They've given this to him. And it essentially turns him into this kind of rampaging fucking monster who is just so sexually charged, he'll literally do anything that's in front mm-hmm. of him kind of thing, you know? Um, the 
the first scene we see, he's basically kind of the, the Milos, the current Milos, if you like, the Milos that's now this all this has happened to. He's kind of wandering about this. He goes back to this orphanage. He's wandering about, and every time he goes into a room, he sees something that kind of causes a flashback. And the first main one then we see is the the the, the woman from earlier on who he'd been doing sex scenes with is brought in and chained face down on the bed. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of kind of unleashed on her, and he's kind of almost straining at the bit because she's naked, she's spread eagled. He's full of this fucking bull Viagra or whatever it is, and all he wants to do is kind of sex with you know, and they kind of let him go, and he just jumps on her and starts having really kind of violent kind of sex work kind of thing, and he's kind of hitting her in the back, and that gets harder and harder. And then this guy hands him a machete. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's getting talked to in this earpiece, and he's out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's doing at this point. He's so full of this stuff, um, and he basically decapitates her, like like two or three kind of big blows of this machete thing, but keeps doing her mm-hmm. even after he's decapitated her kind of thing. Eventually, he's kind of pulled off to these paramilitary guys. And there's just a sort of there's a series then of these scenes. Um, there, there's one when he's passed out in a cell and he's basically ass-raped by one of these paramilitary guys. Yeah. Um, which, again, didn't appear to have any fucking bearing on any of that, anything at all. Um, we then see the, the girl that he met with originally, the porn star, the old friend of his, she has gone to this Vukmir guy saying, what the fuck are you doing? You know, he's the greatest porn actor the world's ever seen. You've got him full of this drugs. He doesn't know what he's fucking doing. And she's trying to, she's like, fuck it, he's out, I'm going to take him away here, I'm going to get him home. Fuck you, fuck your film kind of thing, you know. Um, Within, it cuts, she is chained in a room, with her hands above her head, kind of almost like kneeling kind of thing, but she's chained, she can't stand up on her own. Um, It gets closer to her, you see that all all of her teeth have been pulled out and are lying in a pool of blood front of her mm-hmm. and there's like a pair of pliers lying there and then this fucking character comes in with a hood on his head um, and basically starts forcing her to perform oral sex on him and kind of chokes her to death with his cock basically mm-hmm. Milish finds tapes and watches this kind of thing um, there's then a scene uh, with the young girl that we saw earlier on and her kind of grandmother and she's kind of trying to get Milos basically to have sex with her because her dad's dead and it kind of implies that in some kind of Serbian culture it's the done thing for a father to deflower his daughter basically mm-hmm. Milos kind of he seems to snap out of it enough that he realizes this girl's underage kind of thing, you know, and and he doesn't do it, and he kind of escapes. But he's he's basically kind of hunted down, um, and brought back. He's quite badly beaten and stuff like that. Um, he also tries to cut off his own dick at one point, which is kind of fairly unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all this kind of leads to the big kind of finale, if you like. Um, he's brought into a room, and there's a kind of bed. And there are two figures on the bed that are covered by sheets. You can't see their faces or much of their body. One is larger than the other one. Um, 
And he basically runs across and starts having sex with the larger one. And it, the figure's not moving much at all. Um, he then stops and starts having sex with the smaller one. And you see the smaller one's legs poking out and it's clearly a child. Um, mm-hmm. Another figure then joins him and starts having sex with the larger figure again. So he's had sex with the larger one, moves away to the smaller one, and this other figure comes in and starts having sex with the larger one. Then the fucking covers get pulled off, and basically the larger figure is his wife, which is very heavily drugged, kind of unconscious. And the figure that's having sex with is his brother. And then the other cover comes off, and it's his son, and he's basically raping his own son mm-hmm. in this bed. Um, and it doesn't kind of stop and then he kind of goes mad realises what's happened um, and he kills a lot of them in the room basically I'm kind of jumping through a lot of this it's not really worth fucking talking about to be quite honest yeah. the the wife manages to get up and kill the brother basically by bludgeoning him to death and he gets them out but obviously they're his wife saw what he was doing at one point. She kind of comes to and sees what's happening, what he's doing to his own son kind of thing, you know, and obviously she's fucking terrified. He kind of gets them away. They're back. He then remembers that he'd locked them up in this fucking house, basically. So he goes back and he releases them. They're all back at the house. The wee lad is very traumatised, obviously. Nobody's really speaking. And then there's a kind of final scene where they all go through to the bedroom and they lie down, him and her on either side of the wee boy, and they just kind of hold each other, and then it pans down and he's got a gun. And he basically fires the gun through her back, through the wee boy, and into himself to like a, a kind of suicide pact, because they can't live with what's kind of happened to them. Mm. And you kind of think that's the end of it, and then it cuts and... You, the, like a day later or something, these two paramilitary guys are now in the room with this other man who appeared. He'd been in it earlier on. It's not Vukmir. It's maybe like the guy that's paying Vukmir to make this film or something. Mm-hmm. And we see that one of the paramilitary guys starts undoing his trousers. The three bodies are in the bed, you know, and this guy just tells him to start with the small one. And that's how the film fucking ends. Um, there's so many things fucking wrong with this film. I'm almost struggling to know where to fucking start. It's just, it's just a trashy piece of shit. This film, it really fucking is. Um, yeah. It's like they tried to take every disgusting sexual urban legend and film it. Um, for instance, the bit with the girl with her teeth pulled out kind of hints at this. You know, you hear them talking about. It an old woman giving you a blowjob with her false teeth out, you know, because mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt because she's not getting any te- You know, they're taking that and then put a spin on it. Um, and there's a, another bit when Milos is killing them all at the end, he kills the the guy that's in the film with the baby, kind of rushes yeah. him at the end, and he kind of shoots him and the guy's kind of slumped down and he kind of pulls this guy's mask thing off and you see the guy only has one eye and then he, he, he kind of he skull fucks the guy yes. through that eye and again it's like a kind of sexual urban legend getting played mm-hmm. out in front of you it's just full of 
really hideous fucking cliches, this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know where to fucking start. It, it's tawdry. There's, it's far better acted than something like August Underground. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's it's well shot. The actors in it are pretty good. There's there are, there are elements I found footage in it when he finds these tapes where he discovers the various things that he's done, but it's not kind of the true found footage if you like. Um, it it just uh, I don't fucking really know. It's like they just wanted to make. It's done purely to shock. I suppose yeah. to a level they manage that, but. Not in the way other films have, I don't mm-hmm. think. And in doing that, they fail to justify the things that they put on the screen in front of you. Yeah, Do you know I what mean, I mean? Um, the, the I remember when it came out, um, there was a, a extreme amount of controversy about the movie for obvious reasons. Yeah, I'm sure. There um, was. And it has been banned in multiple countries and heavily edited in other countries, so the movie could get a release. Mm-hmm. Um, but the filmmaker at the time tried to justify it by saying that the movie is almost like an allegory for um, the atrocities committed by these ex-military folk that you're talking about in the time during conflict and in time since he's basically yeah. saying that these sort of things still happen in Serbia and I remember hearing um, Mark Kermode, the film reviewer from the UK, does the BBC film reviews? Mm-hmm. Really, really, really interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Some sometimes, but he knows his horror. I mean, that's what he's got his doctorate in is in horror. So, um, I remember him saying that there's a lot of people out there that say this film shouldn't exist, and he is not one of them. He basically, the way he looks at it, he says that there's only thing, there's only one thing worse than torture porn. And that's a so-called a highbrow torture porn, which he says this is falls under because basically any message or allegorical message that could be put across in this movie about the Serbian government, and all the rest, is completely lost by the sheer amount of fucking gore and nonsense on the screen. It detracts from any message that this film could have yeah. because all that people remember from this movie is that there's baby rape. That's yeah. that's all that anyone remembers. No one's sitting there going, you know, that, that movie's so shocking. I need to go and research how to help people when... Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, against I've got the government, to say, You know what I mean? The, the only kind of thing that vaguely... The Vukmir character talks about Serbia a lot and the country that they live in, right? Uh-huh. The only kind of actual kind of nod to that is these kind of paramilitary uniforms that these kind of cohorts of his are wearing, right? Yeah. And see, be honest, unless you've got a kind of, at least a passing knowledge of the whole kind of Balkan conflict thing, nobody would fucking pick up on that. They could just look like security guards to most people. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, 99% of people will not pick up any fucking form of allegory in this, including myself, and I like to think I do know a little bit about that kind of stuff. A little bit, I'm not saying I'm an expert in it by any fucking means, but I do like to think I know a little bit about that kind of conflict in those countries. And 
even I didn't fucking pick on up to be quite honest that this is he's trying to imply that this went on. There was terrible things done in that. In fairness, there's terrible things done in every fucking world. There's terrible things happening in the now in fucking Palestine mm-hmm. and in Syria and all these fucking places. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I just think he's, it, it's somebody trying to fucking justify. He, to me, they've made this film to push it as far as they can fucking go. Yeah, there's maybe some fucking breadth in that. The horror kind of does it pushes at the boundaries. You know, people want to see how far you can take things. This guy did take it really fucking far. I'll give him that. But to then turn around and try and say it's a fucking political statement, go fuck yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Really, go and fuck yourself. It's not. Why didn't you just say it? I wanted to see how far we could take it. I wanted to shock people beyond fucking belief. I would have fucking far more respect for you if you'd said that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And like, like I'm saying earlier on, there's, um, it's amateurish enough that even the shocking kind of stuff doesn't, it kind of sickens you, but it doesn't affect you mm-hmm. the way that certain scenes in the likes of the Poughkeepsie tapes and even Cannibal Holocaust, which I film I fucking hated, but there was bits mm-hmm. of that stayed with me and really, really affected me quite badly for a wee while after it and that was due to the actual violence that happened in it um, in terms of the stuff that was done to the animals you know everything in this film is faked so it it doesn't have the same fucking impact it's just like you know that nothing actually happened to a baby in the making of this film do you know what I mean Um, it just yeah no, didn't do it for me at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really fucking know what more to say about it, can I think, to be honest? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd, with a film like this, I don't think... Like, I, I mean, I, I, let me put it this way. I put on Twitter, as soon as, as, soon as the movie finished, um, my last tweet, uh, tweet was, um, can see hand on heart, this is the last time I will ever watch this movie again. Good yeah. Um And that's not because I think the movie is, you know, so shocking or so appalling that, you know, I can't sit through it. Um, it's just I don't want to sit through it. I don't see the point of it. No. Um, I just think... I think you summed it up right. You said it was uh, a a vile piece of cinema, mm. and I would I would I would agree with that. I don't think. I'm not saying it doesn't have any merit because at least in this movie compared to because I think August Underground is the worst movie. Yes, um, because just, August, looks... August Underground doesn't yeah it doesn't have a plot, uh-huh. doesn't have any degree of acting. Um, wasn't well shot. This is well shot. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain sequences like that's clearly a fake cock. Um, you know yeah. what I mean. Uh, but for the most part, you know, as as fairly well shot. The the blood sequences, actual practical effects are are, are all right. Um, that that thing is of a, a, a semi decent standard. Um, so. I don't actually mind the soundtrack. I think the synth score of the soundtrack is pretty cool, but that's once again, that's if I'm sitting there focusing on how cool the synth soundtrack is during a Serbian film, that goes to show how much interest I actually have in the movie, which is little to none. Um, mm-hmm. I just, 
I've watched it. I've watched it again now. Um, like I say, I'll never go back to it. Um, if you're easily offended and easily shocked, I would never say watch this movie. No. But I think even even if you are quite good with gore and all the rest, I still don't see the need to watch this movie. I don't think... It's not like a rite of passage or anything like that. I know it affected some people, and some people on our Facebook page had said that they'd watched it once and, you know, it'd upset them and, you know, it stuck with them and all the rest. And, I mean, films should in general, films should, good movies should challenge you, should challenge you as a viewer. Um, I've just, there are things that I've seen in other movies which have been far more terrifying and far more horrific. Mm-hmm. Than a clearly fake baby rape sequence, mm-hmm. um, or or all the other things you know that, that that this movie alludes to or shows you on the screen, um, just because, just because your movie has paedophilia in it doesn't necessarily mean that that makes it an effective horror movie. Yeah, um, see that that's something actually. Um, I I struggle very badly with paedophilia and television or film it's Uh something that's always even before i had a child myself it was something that always repulsed me um and two cases in point two films that i thought were great films that i really thought were brilliant but i can't really go back to them one was sleepers the film about the the four young boys that go to the you know the juvenile jail thing and then Mm -hmm. they grew up kevin bacon's in it that some of the and you don't see anything in that, those films. Any kind of sexual acts are, are off camera. You know what's happening, but it's off camera. That film affected me very profoundly. And another one was a, a remake, or not a remake, a film version of a Stephen King one, Dolores Claiborne. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the one? It came out, it had Kathy Bates in it, and it came out after Misery. And it's it was an amazing a, movie. A brilliant, brilliant film, but there is a scene yeah. with her daughter and her father on, on a boat. boat. Yeah, and that stuck with me. I still, it, it's still in my head, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean when I talk about things like this, that goes through my head? And again, it wasn't graphic at all, but it, that really got under my skin. Those films, to me, dealt with the subject of it better than this thing did. This mm-hmm. thing was just more extreme. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that I think, doesn't I make it better or more effective or whatever. It just makes it more fucking extreme. Do you know what no, I mean? I mean, I, I'm all for like graphic violence and on on the screen, but I think effective, a lot of effective horror can be implied mm-hmm. because if you if you're putting up a scenario where you, I mean, I think that scene would have been far more horrific if you know he'd removed the baby, you know, turned around and then the camera pans off screen. Yeah. Um, and you just heard the noises because then your brain fills in, like yeah. you see that that wink at the camera. And all the rest, and it just detract, it just pulls you in. Not that I would want to envisage a scene like that, but yeah, no, I know, know what, what you mean. Yeah, but by displaying it full on screen, I think in a lot of respects actually takes away from from the supposed horror of it. Um, I just yeah, I think the thing about this movie is I think we probably by going through the synopsis. Um, of it and kind of talking about the movie in general, I think people will have a rough idea what we think of this movie. I mean, I I pulled up the tweets that that we go had going here, and this this will pretty much sum up a lot. I'm not going to read them all out, but I'll, I'll read a selection of um, 
of some of the ones we've come away with. Um, one of your one of your best ones for me was um, I would be I would be very wary of any man so interested in my genitalia because <laughs> that 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 uh, Vukmir guy just keeps talking about how how much he, he wants to make sure the guy's cock's all right. Yeah. Um, it gets a wee bit creepy. Um, then I love the fact that at exactly the same time I wrote a. Uh, Loving the Rocky training montage, haha. And you went, okay, now it's like some weird kind of Zen Rocky montage scene. <laughs> so we obviously had the same same thoughts there. Um, I've put here uh, the, the bit where Vukmir says, it's high time you take care of yourself. And he says this while drinking and smoking. Um, uh, where are we? Uh, when the cops obviously is shagging the prostitute. But watching his brother's porno, which is a wee bit fucking creepy. Yeah. Um, you put that's a fucked up fraternal relationship right there. Um, you put Jesus fucking Christ, which I think may have been. That uh, was the baby bit. Baby. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've put oh goody we're back to see the director. So that's that's when he you know he goes back after. You know after he's stormed out of the place and yeah. and then. Uh, I've then I've put a uh, where is it? Uh, oh yeah, oh forgot about this bit, and that was the bit at the end with the family underneath the the blankets, and I think that pretty much sums up. At no point um, am I like this. I need to switch this off. I don't need to switch it off. I got to the end it. You got to the end it. I said you would get to the end it. I'm also pretty sure I know what your answer is on the end of this one because from doing Baz V Horror, there's one thing that I'm pretty sure I understand now is that that sort of gore on screen doesn't scare you. You handle no. gore really well. Um, I think what in the past has seemed to work with you, um, other than found footage, which, um, you know, found footage, which, you know, you seem to for for whatever reason, Finfoot seems to have a a link to you that that kind of makes you feel a wee bit uneasy with it. But I think in general, what works to you is more more suspense than kind of blunt force trauma on screen. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, look, I, the the films that this was up against, that I think there was a couple in there. I think would have probably done me over, including that Lake Mungo thing. I I read a brief uh-huh. synopsis of that. Um, and I know it's funny. I think a lot of films that horror fanatics cruise through will scare the crap out of me. The Conjuring was a prime example of that. That Conjuring film scared the utter shit out of me. And I know mm. most folk, you know, big horror fans, it was, it was fucking mother's milk to them kind of thing. But that that kind of stuff scares the crap out of me. And I think what's happened a few times with the Baz V horror is folk are they're going down this road of these, you know, supposedly horrific films. But they're not scary films, do you know what I mean? And the levels of kind of horror in them are, are you know, they're very varying. Like everybody went on about Martyrs. Now, I don't have a problem because I think Martyrs is a great film. But mm-hmm. I don't understand why people get so freaked out about it. You know, the scene at the end. Well, Christ, there's a lot of fucking worse things than that in horror films, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I think folk thought that this one... Would, it would just be that kind of brutalising effect on me and they just don't they, they, this one in particular man, nah fuck this do you know what I mean Cannibal Holocaust got me 
because of the things that they did to the animals and the kind of motion sickness bit kicking in at the very end, that mm. that kind of got to me there. Um, August Underground was just fucking pathetic. Um, the Poughkeepsie tapes, that one got me, but, but that's a very well-made film. That, that's a genuinely fucking scary film. This thing's mm. just fucking shit. It just doesn't work for me. If, if you want to catch me, this is not the type of thing to go for. I think something like that, Lake Mungo, from what I'd read of it, the creepy story behind it would have freaked me out and put me all on edge. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying I'd have been screaming behind the couch or anything like that, but I think it would have knocked me off my balance. You know? Mm-hmm. I I agree. And I mean, w- w- with that in mind, with the spirit of this competition, I need to ask you, Baz, and, and this, the 10th Baz v Horror, um, and the immortal pantheon, the battle for supremacy, who won, Baz or Horror? Baz won. Baz kind of ah, wishes, yeah. Baz wishes he never had to fucking get into the competition, but to be quite honest, but it, it did, but it didn't beat me. It's, it's a, just a horrible, vile little fucking film. Yeah, and I'm cool. the same as you. I'll, I'll never fucking watch it again. But aye, no, no need, to, no need to ever revisit this film. Yeah. And you can, you can always say you've watched it. I don't know yeah. why you would want to spark up a conversation with anyone where you would say, "Oh, I watched this film about baby rape." Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, so um, with that in mind, we're going to take a very short break. We're going to close out the show and give you some uh, news on Baz v Horror and what's going to be coming up over the next two months of recording. So we're going to come right back after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. Warning, the Midnight Horror Show is not safe for work and is definitely not for the faint of heart. The following is a small sample of what you'll hear live every Wednesday night at 7 at allradiox.com. I heard from you shitheads for fucking years. Now, Webula, we do this thing that's called a live radio show on the internet. And so there's people that interact with us. Yeah, they're listening and responding to us right now in real time. Who, who, who's talking shit? <laughs> fuck, Somebody's talking shit? Someone named Fuckface. And so then, fuck you, Fuckface. <laughs> oh, you think we'll go off on tangents? <laughs> on the Midnight Horror Have show? you ever listened to this show before, Mark? <laughs> he was masturbating into the, the corpse of a fucking beheaded fish. Fucking uh, nasty motherfucker. <laughs> we're going to end the show on corpse fucking this time, apparently. Anytime you talk about necophilia, you're talking... It's going to take a certain kind of person to watch it. Yes, it's a charmed life. Fuck you. (laughs) You can hear the Midnight Horror Show live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday night at allradiox.com or download the show on iTunes, Podomatic, or at the allradiox.com page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome back to the podcast Under the Stairs bonus episode number seven, which featured Baz v Horror Ten. Baz takes on a Serbian film. So yeah, like I say, a lot of a lot of things coming up over the next wee while. Obviously, I'm continuing my countdown of the top ten best and worst horror remakes as selected by the podcast Under the Stairs. Um, we have an anniversary show, one year anniversary show for podcast Under the Stairs coming up at the end of August. Um, the plan is to have the top 10 best and worst horror remakes finished for the end of September, where we will then kick off Baz v Halloween, which will be five weeks of Baz tackling the Paranormal Activity retrospective, uh, the franchise and the, the five films that are out just now, which will be a good laugh. Um, however, I decided that what might be cool to do is on each of those shows, instead of just having Paranormal Activity, me picking a movie which 
I think is a, a really good horror movie, but with different aspects that I would like Baz to watch. Some of these have been mentioned before on the page, but Baz never got an opportunity to see them because of the voting system. So I can announce these films right now. So, in the very first week of August, uh, sorry, October, um, Baz's main feature will be Paranormal Activity. Uh, my choice of movie is sit along beside that is Frank Darabont's The Mist. Um, which I am really looking forward to checking out. Uh, it's based on the Stephen King novel. Um, in the second week of October, Baz will be tackling Paranormal Activity 2. The movie I've chose to sit along beside that is, um, I would argue, one of the best zombie movies in the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I'm including things like 28 Days Later in that. Uh, it is, of course, Pontypool. Um, it's a Canadian kind of indie horror movie which I just think has got such a cool attitude um, and week 3 of October Baz will be tackling Paranormal Activity 3 the movie I've selected beside that is a movie you've never finished Baz you saw it at the cinema but never finished it <laughs> which, which is The Blair Witch Project when you say uh, I never finished it I barely started it <laughs> 20 yeah. minutes in <laughs> yeah so you, you're gonna and we can share awkward cinema stories about that on the show because yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually physically told my Blair Witch story before um, on week 4 we will tackle Paranormal Activity 4 along beside that I've picked Stephen King's uh, Room 148 sorry 1408 um, which stars John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson and I think it's a I don't think it's an amazing movie, but I think the jump scares are quite effective in it, and I quite like the story, and I think you might dig that movie. Um, the final week, which is the week leading up towards Halloween, um, we will have Baz Tackling as his main feature, Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, and I've selected along beside that the Spanish horror film, The Orphanage, which is executively produced by uh, Guillermo del Toro, and I think it is one of the better ghost movies of the last 10 years. So you're going to be running through them. And then I can also announce as a very special treat, um, the Halloween show that we'll be dropping uh, for the podcast under the, the stairs this year will be an audio commentary of Grave Encounters featuring myself, The Baz, um, Dave Buchanan from Rock and Wheel Reviews, and hopefully... Um, our, our small hairless friend and former co-host of this show, Graham Humphrey, um, who should be calling in from Canada to do it. But the the part I'm, I'm really excited about is what will happen with this is this will be an audio commentary over the film. So instead of having to play the commentary and watching the film on a different thing, you will be able to watch this, the movie on your computer with our audio commentary over the top of it. So... That's pretty cool. I, I really, really can't, really, really can't wait for that. Um, and you'll get to hear Baz make a lot of noises like, "Oh shit!" Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there's yeah, a chance of that happening. <laughs> so it's good. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there is one more Baz v Horror. Yes. Before um, your anniversary show mm. at the end of November, uh, we were talking between the two of us, and we've decided this is something you're quite keen on. So I think it's something we should try before we move on to year two of Baz v Horror. So the next theme of Baz v Horror shows, uh, which we're going to aim to have recorded about the middle of September, um, is for Baz to tackle. Um, a movie from one of the big franchises of the 1980s. So that could include things like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, it could cover um, one of the Chucky movies, although I think technically there was only two in the 80s. Um, and to be honest with you, I don't know 
if people want to do that because we've already reviewed them on this show, eh, me and Graham. Um, however, you could pick things like Poltergeist. You could um, go down the road of... Halloween. Oh, Halloween. Uh, even though the first one's a film from the 70s, you could you could go down that road so as I think well. we would let that slide. Yeah, the... I think I think we would as well. I, I would let Texas Chainsaw Massacre slide, even though yeah. that's early 70s. Um, the second one came out in the 80s. So, um, yeah. So, basically, what we're looking for, and I will post it on the Facebook page for voting, is we're looking for a film from one of the big major franchises. Now, to take into account that Baz has not seen any of these. Baz has never seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Baz has never seen Friday the 13th. No. You have seen Halloween, though? Nope. No, what, the, 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 own, the only film from that time and that this kind of thing that I've ever seen is the first Hellraiser film, which right. I watched just before we started doing this project. Um, one of my sister-in-laws had bought me the, the box set and I've sort of I've seen the first Hellraiser film. But all your others, your Friday the 13th, Halloween, Freddy, all of that kind of stuff, I've never seen any of them. That's how I get confused with the bad guys yeah. in them and you go fucking oh, mental get, when yeah. I get the names I go, wrong. I go mental. Yeah, I go mental. Um, when someone says, Michael Myers, is he the one with the hockey mask? I want to strangle that person, Baz. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, that'll be the plan. Now, I don't believe for any reason at all I can't envisage a scenario where any of these films will conquer Baz, but I think you're in such of a lead at the moment that by the end of year one of Baz, V Horror, I think you've won your first year. Um, which allows me to break out some exciting news, Baz. <laughs> because I was year one of Baz, you say that. <laughs> year one of Baz V Horror has basically been uh, imagine it is uh, imagine it is a final year of school before you go on to the high school, right? And you've you've sat your test and you've passed. Congratulations, you passed your test. So you've been accepted into horror high. Um <laughs> And um, in year two of Baz v Horror, you're going to be tackling maybe less of what will out and out shock you, but you're going to be getting movies picked directly by myself in year two. Um, and I will be firing movies at you, which I think are essential viewing if you're a horror fan. Um, we will still have participation from the Facebook page occasionally, but what we might do is I might pick three slasher movies that I think are worth your attention and we'll put them up. The three movies will go up on Facebook and people can put the vote to what they think you should watch. So, um, yeah. So basically, this this suggestion thing for Baz v Horror episode 11 is really the last full public vote of suggestion until until we bring it back. We'll bring it back at some yeah, point. Yeah. We're going to take a short a short break from that and focus more on, I think, movies that you should watch because I know there's huge gaps in your knowledge of movies that I'm like, how has Baz never seen this movie? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that will be coming up uh, very soon, kicking off in November after your anniversary show. Your first movie will be announced on that show and I'm very much looking forward to that. Cool. Can't wait myself, big man. Yep. Uh, and, um, It'll just be fun to see how you make because, like I said before, it might be cool to do on appearances. Uh, we might take a, a franchise, maybe even something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, and we'll get you to watch three of the movies in between a Baz v Horror, and then you'll come on and you'll basically review and talk us through the first three movies, and then you go away, and the next Baz v Horror will be the next three movies or something like that might be an option as well so you're getting to cover franchises as well the ones that you've never seen but at the same point it'll be, I think it'll be really fun 
to see your reaction to how some of these go because most of them start off genuinely terrifying and then become nonsensical by the end so <laughs> um it could be really fun plus i've got a ton of movies um a ton of british horror movies that i'm wanting to sw- swing your way um i can't guarantee that one of them won't be a film by ben wheatley so i'm just giving <laughs> you that warning so yeah oh, so it's, can't it's yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to tackle some of the more modern ones that I really like. We're going to do some Ty West. we we'll get some of them keepers in there, House of the Devil. Um, it's going to it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so, guys, uh, we'll be posting very soon on the Facebook page for the next Baz V Horror topic. Um, basically, one of the movies from a large franchise, you can pick it. It doesn't matter if it's even in order. Um because a lot of the ones you don't really need to know what happened in the previous ones. Okay. Um, but bear, and, bear that in mind when you're voting, folks, that I probably haven't yeah. seen the first ones. <laughs> yeah, so it might end up being one of the first ones. Uh, it might end up being the first one in any of them, but uh, we'll put that out there anyway, and we'll see what comes back. Um, Baz, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. As again, always, big man. Though, even though the topic uh, this week was a bit... Yeah, unpleasant. Aye. Yes, yes. Um, so, with that in mind, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? Yep, uh, thanks for listening again, folks, and I will speak to you all soon. Ta-da! And from Duncan, um, it's been a pleasure chatting to you again. Thanks very much for listening to the show and supporting us. Remember, it's never too late to join our Facebook page. If you haven't yet, go over to Facebook in the top search bar, type in Podcast Under the Stairs, come along and uh, we will accept you in our closed group. Also, uh, if you want, you can leave us an iTunes rate and it takes two seconds. If you have an iPhone, you just click right on the button to leave us a review leave us a review the more reviews we get well positive ones anyway the higher up the rankings we have and the more opportunity people that have never heard the show before have the chance to stumble upon us um and until the next time i speak to you guys from under the stairs take care of yourself bye everyone drop the charges
Motivation, naturalization. What are you talking about? It's all about time. Press you one, you know, today, today. What a crime! In the old time, in the old time, in the old time, it was not a crime! Perfectly natural.